Well, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's Let's been a long go. time. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about today. So this is um, our first podcast, or certainly my first podcast, doing something live like this with a person. I want to do a series where I find that in my life I have some of the most interesting human beings and I can't think of a better guest um, first than uh, Miss Miss Victoria, and um, we're going to talk about your interesting childhood, growing up in a particular yeah. <laughs> space mm-hmm. <laughs> and time, and how you got here today. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. So, you believed in something very interesting. That is a religion that I don't think a whole lot of people have a lot of insight into, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, and so I just started talking about that, um, not too long ago. Um, I was raised in it, we can kind of get more into that, but, um, it was my faith until I was probably like 21, 20 years old, something around there, and then it all came crashing down, (laughs) as the story goes, with religion. Um, a lot of things happened in between that. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, I guess. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So let's start. So you were, you were born straight up into that. So your parents were already in the congregation. How about, how far back does that go as far as your specific family goes? So actually, no. Um, my mother, she had someone knock on her door, like Jehovah's Witnesses. They go to her door in the field ministry is what it's called. Um, and she started a Bible study with, um, a sister and just for reference, um, I'll refer to people in the church as brothers and sisters. That's what they, that's what we called each other. Um, so she had a sister knock on the door and they started a Bible study and I was probably maybe a little over a year old and my mom doesn't have anybody else that's in, she didn't grow up in the religion, um, She is first generation Jehovah's Witness. My father um, was not interested at all. And he used to be a firefighter and um, he was gone. He would sleep over at the fire station. So he wasn't around as much. And my mom kind of like delved into the religion and started taking me, my brothers, to um, the Kingdom Hall to the meetings. And so she got baptized and then my father got baptized. Um, he was converted a few years later. Um, also first generation. So they have no ties to the religion. It just, my mom kind of got into it. Was there anything before that? I mean, were they um, religious at all before that? I think my mom and my dad were Catholic. Um, I was actually baptized Catholic as a baby, but um, we never, I don't remember, I mean, obviously I was a baby, so I don't remember. Um, my earliest memories of religion were going to the Kingdom Hall to the meetings because I, I mean, I, I again, I was maybe like 16 months old or something like that when she converted, so I don't have any memory of any Catholic teachings, anything like that. They never really even t- ever talked about it. Oh, wow. I found out through photos that I was baptized as Catholic and because um, we just never talked about it. Like yeah, so you're it like just, double protected. You got yeah, double I baptized. Yeah. Double dipped. <laughs> so I'm like super safe. So um, I will be raised up no matter what. So. Did, your, did your parents ever talk about that portion of it before? Like once you were old enough to kind of understand? Like, so let me, 
at what point you were a baby, you were baptized into this. At what point did they start trying to talk to you about the religion? Is that pretty early on? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Um, so Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't, unlike some religions where they have like children's school and you're separate from the parents, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are not like that. So every kid attends every meeting. There's three meetings a week. Oh, wow. Um, so you have two, two hour meetings, um, one's a little over two hours and then one, one hour meeting and children are expected to sit and be quiet the whole time. Um, but you're also expected to do personal study for those meetings and, um, participate raising your hand and answering questions, things like that. Um, but I mean, my first book that I really remember is my book of Bible stories, which is made and published by the Watchtower organization. Um, and I just think about it now just being adult and like, I don't have kids, but, um, the stories that I was taught and the graphic pictures in that book that were like, I would never show a child this stuff. I'm talking about people being stoned to death, like blood, like Jezebel being thrown out the window, fed, oh, wow. fed to dogs. Like, and I was a kid. I'm like, yeah, this is great. So like, there's <laughs> scriptures, but they're illustrated in, yes. in graphic detail. Yes. Like stories and, and like, kind of like just like, to the perils of what would go wrong if you were not a follower of Jehovah pretty much from like a very, very young age. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get some somatic things. You mentioned, you mentioned, um, kingdom hall. That's basically the term for the church, the actual physical Mm -hmm. building. Right. Yeah. And then watchtower society. That's sort of the central governing body from what I understand. A little little bit of homework. I didn't want to be completely ignorant, but yeah. So they're, they're the ones that would be like the, uh, central Catholic church or something like that, that kind of decides mm-hmm. what the current doctrine is and then that gets distributed down to these local parishes right right and so right so exactly so there is the watchtower organization so when i talk about the church or whatever i refer to it as an organization because yep. it's really that's what it is um so you have it's actually located in new york and um we talked about like the governing body and things like that so you have a group of men who were anointed by God, and um, they're the ones that are gathering all this information in order to feed the flock, which is everyone on the whole planet. <laughs> um, they're given information just from these men in New York. Mm. So they publish everything. So yes, part of it when I was deeply indoctrinated, I really appreciated the fact that, oh, everything's coming from the Bible. Everything's coming from the Bible. I love that, you know? Sure. But the only understanding that I had of the Bible was from publications that the Watchtower organization gave me and spoon-fed to me as far as what I understand from the Bible. So I really wasn't learning about the Bible. I was learning the Watchtower's or, like, perception of what the understanding of the Bible was. It was curated for you. Yes. And I, I mean, I'm talking from like infancy, mm-hmm. like the songs you would sing, the pamphlets we were given, um, the children's books. I mean, I mean, now... Uh, the organization has like propaganda videos, like little mm-hmm. kid videos and cartoons. I mean, that wasn't what I grew up with, but they were doing the same thing 30 something years ago, <laughs> you know, yeah. using, like their publications to indoctrinate you. So, um, yeah, it started from a very, very young age. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that it's a group of men. Is that just by chance or are like women not allowed above a certain level? Can they become, no. can they be, uh, what do they call them? Elders at no. the local level? No, no. Um, is there like a prescribed role for women in, in the, in the doctrine? I think, <laughs> I feel like, like, like most religions, women are just like seen to be faithful wives mm. and, 
and good sisters in the congregation and raising spiritual children, um, how they break it down from what I remember it again, a lot has changed since I left, but, um, you have Jehovah, you have his son, Jesus, you have the faithful and discreet slave, you have the governing body, you have the elders in the congregation, ministerial servants. It's, I mean, there's like a whole pyramid whole hierarchy and there's like women are at the very, very bottom. And so, <laughs> um, yeah. So we're just taught to be, um, to look nice, dress nice, speak when spoken to, um, take on a lot of the preaching work, the field service, because that's, that's mostly on our backs because our, the men are like, you know, taking care of the family and things like that. But there is not anywhere you can move up as a female in the organization. All you can do is pioneer. Mm. And that's like the highest you can get as a woman. Mm. You can't be a ministerial servant. You can't be an elder. Definitely could never be a governing body member, anything like that. So that's the highest it gets is pioneering. That's it. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So I imagine that kind of sets up a culture where, because you can't really rise into a, a position of oversight, then I imagine that that sort of instills the value system of, well, then I have to go out and maximize the amount of things that I do in ways that I contribute Mm -hmm. beyond raising my own family. I imagine then it's like people get all bent out of shape about how many hours they put in and how many different uh, outreach things they do. Right. And then that's how kind of how they establish their own sub pecking order. Right. And so I imagine some women are a little more type a PT PTA mom types that are taking on the world. And I think as a kid, I remember a lot of like, being an elder's wife too was like that was the thing. Oh, so, sure. um, if you were married to an elder, you kind of had like the status, like you know, of just being like having some type of power, even though you really didn't have any power. Um, but you were also expected to be pioneering, and, and I'll explain that too. So, sure. um, when you are an unbaptized Jehovah's Witness, you can be called what's called a publisher. And this is talking about how many hours you spend preaching to other people because that's how we're going to save the world, right? Okay. So um, a publisher gets like nine hours a month. And we, the organization, they record everything. So at the Kingdom Hall, um, we have like a whole thing of these publisher slips and it tells you like your name, what congregation you go to, how many hours, not only how many hours, how many Watchtower and Awake magazines you distributed, how many pamphlets you distributed, how many books you distributed, if you have any personal Bible studies, all those things. So as a kid, I think I became a publisher, I don't know, I was probably like, I don't know, seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, But I've been in the field ministry since I was a baby. I'm talking about I would rarely walk around because my dad would always hold me up because I was just like, I was just a kid. I was like four and I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, like I didn't, you know, I, I was just there. Um, I was participating because I had to. Um, but you know, after becoming a publisher, you could only become a regular pioneer if you're baptized. So you get baptized, you can become a auxiliary pioneer is what they, the term they use. And I believe that's like 50 hours a month. Um, and then there's a regular pioneer, which is like top tier, um, that's 70 hours a month. And, um, and these are quotas or just like, yes, you have to have your minimums. Well, that minimum, I mean, that's the minimum at least. Wow. So, I mean, if you really think about it, um, that's a lot of time in the field ministry work and you're also, it's just a lot of stress and it's like, I mean, Field ministry in itself is, is a, I can go deep into that. But um, for women, that really is a top goal, being a regular pioneer or mm-hmm. elder's wife, because that's 
as as far as you're gonna get for I'm sure <laughs> yeah, st- yeah standing as close to the sun as you can yeah, right exactly. yeah, yeah yeah so yeah we'll get into the evangelism side so just a couple more questions so like on on the on the parent side so that's interesting your mom actually discovered the religion brought your dad into it mm-hmm. and then how far did 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 your dad kind of start to embrace it and really try to like move up the ranks on his regard or was he just kind of like um agree so, to agree to go along with it to keep keep mom happy so something um i mentioned earlier to you was um what the organization is known for which is love bombing and um <laughs> so yeah, i'm really curious about this okay so what happens is is that you know you're say say if you today went to a kingdom hall for a meeting People are going to approach you. They're going to know that you're not Jehovah's Witness. One, because you have a beard and you're not supposed to. Oh. By the way, clean shaven. Already got one, yeah. one have, check mark against you have, me there. You have tattoos. So they'd be like, okay, oh. well, he's he's always not a Jehovah's Witness. So they're going to come to you and be like, hey, how are you doing? I'm brother so-and-so. Like, what brought you here? Oh, they're going to smile at you and like hug you and be like, you know, you're like, this is great. I feel safe. Everyone's coming up to you, giving you all this attention and love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my mom experienced that when she started going to the meetings. She had the kids by herself. My dad was not going with her at the uh. time. Everyone was like offering to take care of us and help us, like bring her meals, things like that, you know. And then my dad, all the elders or brothers in the congregation would start talking to my dad when my dad was around. Like, oh, you know, my dad's like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. Like, they're like normal people. Well, you know, our whole goal is to convert people. That's the, that is our whole purpose in life is sure. to convert people. So you're going to show them the best side of you. You're going to just, what, what do you need? What do you need? I'm mm. going to, I'm going to do this for you. You need this. I'm, I, you need help with your kids. You need this, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to do everything, make those person, that person feel safe. So my mom got that. She was converted. She was baptized. She was in. Okay, and then my dad, like, he was kind of like, this is doesn't sound a like lot. it's something that I want to do. But then he's like, well, look at my wife. She's doing this. Like, she's being submissive. She's doing all this. She's raising my kids. You know, these, these guys are like, they're they're good people. They're preaching to me. Like, maybe it does sound okay. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty sweet deal yeah, if maybe, you're a dude. <laughs> maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is it, you know? And we were already going to the meetings with my mom, mm-hmm. you know? And my dad never stopped her from taking us, even though he didn't really believe that. Yeah. But, um... I think just eventually he was kind of just brought into it because he got, he felt like this love and connection with people. And then he eventually got baptized. Um, If we want to go to kind of into that, but um, right. So there's, there's three of us kids. Mm -hmm. That's my two older brothers and me. Um, We've been going all of us to meetings since we were very, very little. They're older than me. So um, they had, a few more experiences as far as like holidays and like, you know, just not being a witness. Unlike me, I feel like I was kind of dipped into it at a very young age, but, um, we just, you go to these meetings, you're, you're indoctrinated from such a young age and you start believing all the things that you're taught because that's such a young age to really get into, um, like into a religion because, Everything that you're told is a fact. You just believe that it's a fact. Of course. So I feel like, you know, my mom and dad, they were first generation. They no one taught them these things, but they were super, like, self-righteous. They felt so good. Like, they were like, you know, my kids, we're going to make it. Like, Armageddon's going to come. We're going to save my whole family. So they just constantly fed information to us kids. Hmm. And I always tell people, you know, why would you believe that stuff? Why would you get into it? And I'm thinking if you were like two years old or three years old and your parents told you like the sky was green, you're like, okay, mom and dad tell me the sky is green. 
all these adults are telling me the sky is green. I'm, I'm going to believe the sky is green. And that's what it starts from. It's like it's from such a young age. And all you can do is just believe what you're taught. And it is fed to you. I'm talking about three times a week meetings yep. and field service ministry and personal Bible study. Like you're literally drowned in information. Yep. And I mean, it's it's just hard to not start believing those things. And I'm sure the same thing happened to my dad. Like you just start. Yeah, and, that, and that's and that's really any culture, yeah. right? That's just child psychology. Is human beings are not born with instincts per se, other than to eat and breathe, right? And so, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter whether it's religion or not. You're designed. You're designed to look at your parental units and say, "What's the model for?" living in this world and engaging in it. So whatever your parents tells you is the way to, to do a thing. Yeah. Well, that's the way to freaking do a what's thing real, because that's your, real. right. Yeah. What's real, what's real. <laughs> yeah. That's your, that's, those are your models, right? Like, you know, uh, was it in the crow, right? Like mother's the word for God in the lips and hearts of children. That is literally the, the, the correct way to look at it. Um, so that's, that's really fascinating as far as, so your, your brothers were already participating. They were older than you. How much older? Um, so I think honestly, <laughs> Okay. This is a side note. Okay. We didn't grow up celebrating birthdays. Okay. So oh, I don't, right. I don't, I know my brother's birthdays, I about that. but I honestly don't know how old they are. So, so talk about that for a second. Cause I, I found <laughs> that really birthday. interesting. So, yeah. uh, what is it? What do they call it? Um, idolation, ideation, idolation. Um, it's like idolatry, like to like, idolatry. Worship, like to, so <laughs> it's more than just Christmas and the Easter bunny, right? It's like your own birthday yeah. is also not supposed to be like a big deal. Yeah. So we don't celebrate in holidays. Um, so I celebrated one Christmas ever. And then um, all holidays are, you know, all pagan. So we don't celebrate holidays. Oh. And then our birthday, it literally makes no sense. But when you're a kid, it makes sense. Um the Bible only talks about. Well, I mean, shout out to that because yeah. Christianity did a great job of converting every single pagan holiday into. Yeah, I mean, yeah no, we got that too. Oh, yeah. you. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so for the birthdays, the reason why Joseph don't celebrate birthdays is because there's only two mentions of a birthday in the Bible. No. And um, this is their whole reasoning, okay, is that. The two birthdays are mentioned in the Bible, two people died. And one was John the Baptizer. So it was John the Bapt Baptist or however people refer to him. Um, and so it's like, obviously it was brought into the Bible. So God was telling us this is bad. Like you're, you know, and it, there's a one scripture that they use too about um, honoring your, your day of death more than your day of birth. And that's also a scripture to kind of just throw in there. It literally makes no sense, but we just don't. But side note, they do celebrate anniversaries. Um, it just so huh, it, it, interesting. they kind of like again you're talking about a man-made religion whose doctrine changes all the time it's constantly evolving into things that make it more convenient for them but as a kid you're like oh that makes sense well you know two people died it must be really bad so we can't celebrate our birthdays and so i honestly i don't know my parents birthdays i have no idea because we never celebrated them sure. i have no idea what they're, i know their anniversary so and I remember like certain weird things, but my brothers, I don't even know really how old they are. Um, cause we never celebrated their birthday. I just, right. I know they're older than me. Right. right. Um, okay. I'm 30. Were they, were they at least re removed enough from you that they were already kind of like functioning in the church and then you were still like a little kid or did y'all kind of come into the service side around the same time? Um, so my brothers, <laughs> unlike me, um, 
they went because they were forced to go. Mm, mm. So we were all forced to go. Um, but, and we, you know, we all, there's all different parts of the organiza- organization and there's a theocratic ministry school um, that you can make, you can do talks and, and plays and things like that. Um, okay. And they were in it, but you could tell this, they just weren't really like, they just weren't really believing. They kind of went cause my parents went, you know? Sure. And they never got baptized ever. Hmm. And that's the reason today that my parents still talk to them because they don't believe in the organization at all. But because they were never baptized, my parents are still allowed to talk to them. And with me, and we can get into that, but with me, um, because you signed the service agreement and then ducked out on it. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. So, so with me, I think I just took more to it because one, um, that's just who I am. I find things interesting and I kind of just delve into it. And, and also I just had no reason not to believe my parents. Like they're telling me this is, this is real. This is, you know, this is going to save my life. The world's going to end. And, you know, you're, I mean, you are fed with that information. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days. Mm. All you think about as a Jehovah's Witness. And that has not changed in all these years. That's all you think about. And am I good enough? Am I going to do the right thing? And you have people telling you that the only way to get, to make sure that you're going to make it through Armageddon or be resurrected is if you're a baptized witness. If you know already about Jehovah and you haven't got baptized, there's something wrong with you. Mm. And my brothers just didn't care. They're like, whatever, I'm going to go live my life, you know? And I'm over here like trying to be the good kid. And and I saw the pressure that, you know, was put on me for being like the one that was actively going to meetings. So they they stopped going when this, as they got older, because they were like, I don't have to go. You know, I would make sure I was sat there with my parents and I was, I was the good kid. And, you know, I, we ever try to, were you ever like encouraged to try to bring them back in by the church? My or was it just kind of like an understood thing? Yeah, your brothers? Um, no, I feel like for some reason, I don't know why this is. I really don't. Why there was no pressure with them. <laughs> like, there was a lot of other stuff going on with my brothers. And, like, everyone kind of knew that they weren't really in it. But they still talk. They still loved ta- hanging out with us, you know? Sure. Like, um, But with me, there was just, there was just a lot of um, pressure to be, like, the good kid. Like, the, you know, spiritual kid and things like that. So... Um, I, so you have, so in order to get baptized, um, jumping from this, you have to take a a test. Okay. Um, but I was 15 years old when I did that. So like, I don't know, like what, what life decisions. Oh, so this is a little more involved than just like sprinkle some holy water and. No, you literally have to like, there's a book that you read and you talk. This sounds more like confirmation on the Catholic side. They ask you questions. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe something similar to that. And then it's like, do you understand that, you know, by doing this, you're going to be Joe's winners, blah, blah, blah. That's confirmation. And so, but I think about it and, you know, as 15 years old and there's a reason why 15 year old, 15 year old can't get married. They can't drink. They can't do all these things because you just don't know what the heck you're doing. Like you're, you are a kid. All Mm -hmm. the things I used to do at 15, I will tell you, like I had no idea what I was doing. And I knew my parents were like so happy that I was doing that. So, um, I told them I was going to get baptized. They were so excited. And they always say, like, I never pushed her. I never pushed her. That is not true. Because, yes, you're not putting a gun to my head and saying you have to do right. this. But the conversations. But you're inundated with the culture. How? What other choice yes. is there? Well, there's a lot of, like, gaslighting and manipulation a lot. Mm. And that's from, like, 
when you were a kid kid. And I can go in depth about the things they say to you and the things that push you to one direction. That's where they want you to go. Um, and I just had so much love and night for my family. And I just thought that it was, I'm like, it just has to be true. Maybe someday I'll just, I'll feel like it's a hundred percent right. You know? So I was like, I'm just going to do it now. Like, why not? What's stopping me? Yeah. Um, so I, I did all that. I had to wait to the next district convention to get baptized. So I was technically 16 years old when I got baptized. Cause it was in April. My birthday's in March. So I was 16 and, um, it changed my whole life because I mean that's where I, I am the way that I am now my, my parents are the way they are now um, only because I got baptized at 16 and that's what makes all the difference to Jehovah's Witness that's fascinating so if I can pause there same thing happens in Catholicism right so I grew up Roman Catholic right because mm -hmm. Cuba is very um, Roman Catholic like Spanish influence hardcore orthodox blah 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 right mm -hmm. and what's interesting about that Caribbean area is that they were also trying to get away from the old religions there's a lot of other religions like Santeria and things like that that were competing at the time and so Catholicism moved in and it was very like no you gotta like follow the rules and what's fascinating is the baptisms are given that's just you basically take your baby in get the oil get the water and that just puts them on the track but you're expected, right? One of the one of the one of the main sacraments, right? Marriage, so on and so forth. One of the main sacraments is confirmation, and it happens at exactly the same time, because at the point of which you are starting to become an autonomous autonomous adult, right? 12, 13, 14, 15, you're entering into puberty. You're no longer just a kid being told what to do. And you now have the opportunity to maybe say, ah, maybe this isn't for me and I just want to go hang out with my friends. There's, there's this mechanism that is very specifically put in place at that point to where now you need to affirm that you're going to follow the track, mm -hmm. right? So again, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird pressure thing, but it's also one of those things that they prepare you for it. And you go, like when you're in confirmation, you take confirmation classes where you reverb you bible studies and you have to go mandatory every week Are you for, so it's for you have to go it's mandatory mm -hmm. okay. yep and you go with your parents and blah 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 and there's an entire like speech thing that you have to recite and all this other stuff and it's basically like it's like yeah. signing it's like signing a contract it's like a signing a social contract and that has a psychological effect on you that says oh wow so i was brought up in this but i was always kind of doing it to your point like like my parents were dragging me along on this mm -hmm. journey now i have to take this journey myself so it's a clever way to instantiate a new person that's now going to take this and shoulder it themselves and run with it in their own regard so of course it feels very like important and empowering and everything else because you don't really have the opportunity to sit down in these classes and go uh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, what about that? Because they're like, oh, you just, you don't understand or whatever. It all happens really fast too. I sure. feel like, yeah, there's a lot of things that I knew about the religion because obviously I grew up that way. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like from the moment I told the elders, uh, you know, yeah, I'm thinking about getting baptized. It was like, bam, bam, bam. And then like the next um, district convention, we're going to get baptized. And, you know, my mom and dad were crying at my baptism. And I just remember feeling so like, empowered and important Maybe, I, th I think I mean, honestly I probably felt a little self-righteous to be honest but I was just like you know I did that yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and like it honestly it felt good because I see my parents crying they were so happy they had all this pride you know and my brothers were there even though they never got baptized they were there and they were all proud of me and everyone's like hugging me and like you know it's like this big like party for you yeah. it's like you did you did something like so amazing mm -hmm. but they never it's never talked about what happens like 
you know, after the fact, you know what I mean? That's where like, I said another sense of like love bombing. It's like, you did it. It's great. Like, you know, congratulations. Like, you know, you're, you're one of us and you feel like this is my family. It's my spiritual family. Like yeah. now I don't have just my immediate family. I have all these people worldwide. Like yep. I'm part of something so much bigger than me. Yep. And you do feel like the sense of accomplishment. Yep. It's a coming of age ritual. And it's, yeah. and it, it, that is older than religion itself. Every culture, every religion has always had a coming of age idea right there's the, um, joseph campbell talks a lot about these different um, uh, um aspects that predate religion but it's a common recurring theme because that is a very critical point in your life developmentally right, right. so it makes total sense like i get it i get it i just thought that too you know i think you know joe's witnesses always say well we don't baptize our, our babies because our babies don't get to choose jehovah like you know they're bi- they're really which is fascinating yeah. that's actually pretty legit honestly which they're, which they're really big into yeah, but <laughs> that what you're really big into, like, okay, you have to choose Jehovah willingly. Like, mm. you know, we don't force it upon you, okay? Like I said, they don't, like, put a gun to your head and make you do that. But um, there are, like, children. I, I believe my nephews, after I left and um, lost touch with them, that they got baptized at a very young age. And I'm talking about children, like, seven years old, eight years old getting baptized. You're talking about, you preach about, not baptizing babies because they don't they don't get to choose right but you're talking about a seven-year-old eight-year-old kid and i'm just thinking i at 15 did not know that this life contract it is it has changed my whole life and i it's one of my biggest regrets of my whole life and i just but i didn't really fully understand it and i and at 15 what is a seven-year-old eight-year-old they don't know anything yeah, about yeah. Life. i mean my niece my niece wants to be a pterodactyl when she's seven <laughs> exactly. years old right that's exactly. not exactly realistic like, okay a princess okay i don't know but this is not real life, right and that's know? the slightly disingenuous side of it that i will say is that <laughs> coming of age aside right there's a reason why they target that age range just because your brain's not even done developing exactly. i mean try asking somebody when they're 25 and their frontal cortex is done developing whether or not they think something is a good idea of course not and it's everything. It's military service, all that other stuff, right? You gotta, you gotta get get people when they're young and impressionable, and try to put them on a certain path, and then you lead them down that path. Easier to manipulate is what I say. Sadly, yeah. Sadly, 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 that's the truth. Unfortunately. So let's so let's get into like the okay. So let's get into like the evangelism, right? So I I noticed that there's a few different types of field service that is sort of like in, what do they call it? Witnessing, where it's like mm-hmm. in person, the door to door stuff. There's the public ones. Can you get into some of that? Yeah, so um, they called the field ministry, preaching, uh, door-to-door work, things like that. Um, So like I was mentioning earlier about publishers and auxiliary pioneers and regular pioneers and things like that, every witness is expected to preach, every single one. If you're homebound, you write letters or you make phone calls. Everyone is expected to contribute because that's the biggest thing Jehovah's Witnesses do is like to preach the word of Jehovah, convert people, to save as many people as you can. Because after all, that's why this world, that's why the system of things has lasted so long, because Jehovah is giving us an opportunity to witness to the masses, to convert them so more people can be saved. Sure. That's why everything bad happens in the world, because he's waiting on us, right. is pretty much what, the, what we're taught. So, um, so Philip Ministry, uh, I did it a lot, um, because I was a regular pioneer for little over two years and at 70 hours a month if not more and that is a lot of time 
in the film industry work. So what we do is they have um, territory cards, what they're called. So you go, you meet at the Kingdom Hall in the morning and you break into break up into car groups. So you find your friend or I usually get stuck with people I didn't want to, but you know, whatever. And then they give you a territory card and it has all the street names and all the houses and everything on it. So that's your territory card for your car group. So then you talk about what pamphlet you're going to talk about. Everyone talks about the same pamphlet. We talk about a couple of scriptures, you know, um, read a morning scripture, and then we break off into our car groups. And so we'll go to our territory. We have, um, we keep track of everything, by the way. And many people don't know this, but I write everything down. So you go knock on someone's door and they're slightly nice to me. They're not interested, but they're nice to me. They tell me they have a dog named Max and, you know, they're married and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, I'll take it, blah, blah. Great. That's what's called a return visit. So I go and put my note, like, hey, this guy's name was Jeff. He has a dog named Max. You start casing people? Yes. I gave him this. We, 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 he mentioned this, um, what scripture, like, I read, whatever. And I put it in my return visit. Like, I had, like, a notebook. Sure. Or whatever. So we keep track of everything. So like, also if you're like really crazy or something and we'll put you on the do not call list, which is what it's called. I'm like, okay, he, he had a gun, which has happened before. Um, get off your property. Um, I've been, I've literally had dogs, like someone's like sick their dog on me. And I was a very, I was very little. I think I was like five. What? And um, I've had someone take my literature and burn it in front of me. Um, like straight. Mm-hmm. Dead ass, like just light it on fire. I used I, I used to do field ministry. <laughs> cold shit. Um, in a lot of the Indian reservations, and um, a lot of, you have like a lot of women in skirts and high heels walking up these streets with like a pack of wild dogs following you, and it's like you just it's not the environment for a young person to be in, anyways. <laughs> and people, it was just it was not it. A lot. Okay? It was but a it lot. was a lot. It was a lot. Um. But I had to get my hours. And it, and you didn't get to necessarily pick your territory card. Like I was wondering about the logistics. This is like, fascinating to me. I'm yeah. a nerd, so I love, like, I wanted to know how this, y'all just randomly pick a street. I, no, this I is mean, all coordinated. the territory card with, like, one house over here and one house, like, 50 miles this way. Because I can count that hour. I can count the hour that I knock on this first door to when I knock on the second door. So that's part of my hour because I was very, very, very hard to make 70 hours a month. It was very hard. And... And that's a lot of doors to knock on, okay? Yeah. And you're just, you just never know. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I would like barely knock on the door. I'd be like this, like, no, no one's home. And I would just leave because I just like, towards the end of me regular pioneering, I was so exhausted and I was so. so time, time is the main metric. Yes. It doesn't matter. It's 70 hours if you knocked on 700 doors or 50. Yeah. You're good. They want you. And there's or do somebody who knocks on 700 doors, do they get like a bonus perk, yeah. like high and five in the. And there's no proof that you're actually doing it either. Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, it's I mean, all. Granted, they'll see you at the Kingdom Hall in the morning. Like if they don't see you field service and then yet you're clocking like 80 uh, hours a month, they're going to know you're lying. But I mean, that was a problem too, that a lot of people were saying they were doing it. But me being the giddy tissues that I was, I'm like, I was actually doing it and I was exhausted mm. and I was just so burned out and I was really unhappy um, because it's, it's very nerve wracking 
doing field ministry. If you've never stole anything door to door, okay, <sighs> when the moment someone sees you at the door, they're already angry. Yeah. Unless you're a Girl Scout, they're gonna be angry, okay? Unless you're giving them cookies, Unless they don't you're want, holding chocolate. Yeah, they don't want nothing to do with you, okay? And that's like human nature. I totally get that. That's that's me now. If you're if you're an Amazon delivery, okay, thank you. But anybody else, like I don't want anything to do with it. So you get a lot of aggression, a lot of people just being ugly for the sake of being ugly. And it's just, it's a lot mentally to deal with. And then you have the pressure where it's like, well, I got to save their life. So I have to, you know, be on the field ministry. I have to do this. And I'm a regular pioneer. And like, I have like, there's so much pressure on me to like convert somebody and start a Bible study with somebody. And if you gave me an ounce of kindness, I was going to come back to you in a few days and it's what's called a return visit. And I was going to keep preaching to you and preaching to you because it looks better, yes, if you have Bible studies on your little time card that every month you have to, you know, the organization keeps track of everything. Mm. When you are a Jehovah's Witness organization, one in New York, keep track of your whole yeah, yeah. life. There are files on you as a person. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like part timesheet, part I mean, sales quota. It's, it's it's everything. I mean, they have they have records on me from when I was a kid, sure. like when I started publishing, being a publisher. So, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of pressure on you to like, just be like the best of, you know, the best. And, you know, I had to save people's lives. So it was like out knocking on doors in the most dangerous parts of, I swear, New Mexico. Like it was just not a great experience for me, but I felt like I had to do it. And so did you gain, so, I mean, I think of like the character building that like the magazine sellers and the, you know, if I, <laughs> if I, if you get four of them, you don't even have to keep the subscription yeah. kind of stuff. Right. But like, were you, were you, I mean, were you good at it enough to where you started kind of getting a chip on your shoulder where you where it does it reinforce itself where like, as soon as you get like your first sort of like conversion or something like that, you get a breakthrough as an individual. Does that like empower you to be like, bam are you learning because i have to imagine you're learning skills you're learning yeah. interpersonal skills with people and how to approach them and i mean i was good okay <laughs> like um top converter i was like really good but thank goodness i didn't convert anybody i mean that you know I, that i know of um i was i can talk to because i i think there was a part of it where i was like okay i'm, I'm just gonna go full throttle like i believe in this like if you want to have a conversation with me about it we can go toe to toe, and I'll tell you why I believe what I believe. And I was just really passionate about it. Mm. And so everyone was like, "Oh, you're such a good, you're so good in the field ministry." Like, you just, I, I, I knew so many scriptures off the top of my head. I mean, I read the, the Bible from front to back. I literally have done that. Dang. So, and I remembered every like little things pop into my head. I'm like, "Oh, well, that's the Holy Spirit like giving." I mean, really, that's what I thought. I'm like, "Oh, the Holy Spirit gave me information right at the right time," you know. And yeah, when someone would want to study with me or I would tell them something like, oh, my God, I never thought about that. Like, mm. wow, like, that's amazing. And I'm like, yeah. It is. I was like, yeah, it is. You know what I mean? Because I was just like, it felt good. I'm like, see, they, they see what I see. And But, yes, and it, it, is a, it is a big deal. Like, if you bring someone into the kingdom hall that you're studying with, like, everyone just like, oh, my God, your Bible student's here, and blah, blah, mm. blah. Like, so, yeah, you do get recognition for that. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like, it makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, and what about on the other end of it? So let's say that you like, did you, 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 you seem like you believe this stuff legitimately. And so like, did you have the opposite effect too? Like if you try to talk to somebody and they're just kind of like, and eh, not interested, did you walk away feeling like sad for them? Or you're like, well, it sucks that you're going oh to the not good spot. Right? I was so self-righteous at a point where if someone, just like, if someone was mean to me and I'm like, well, they're going to die in Armageddon. I guess they deserve it. And I really did think that. And I was like, oh, well the Bible says, well, 
the organization says that we're going to get persecuted. Towards the end, of, like everyone's going to persecute, persecute Jehovah's Witnesses. So you get this like probably like, oh, well, we're, that's what Jesus said was going to happen. We're going to get persecuted. And I was like, well, then they're going to die in Armageddon because that's, I had the opportunity to witness to you to save your life. Yep. You were, you know, dis, just disregarding You told me, me. to kick rocks, yeah. so that's on you now. And I was like, so when Armageddon comes, like, mm, the birds are going to eat your body, like whatever. Like I literally, like, and it's so disgusting, but I really did like feel like some type of like, it is self-righteousness because sure. you just feel like you're above other people. Like you just know more than they do. It's yeah. awful. It's so awful. But like, you really do think that's that. unfortunate because you would, you would think that it would be the other way where you, where you feel like where people would feel just like pity. Like it's like, Oh, it's, it's so no. sad that you're going to burn forever or whatever. Like, so well, well, let me ask you about that. So you talk about Armageddon. What happens after Armageddon? Because like on the Catholic side, it's the whole, like, it's just the army at the end of days, blah, blah, blah. But the whole point is that Satan and God are building armies and they're going to, yeah. So are you going to be, you know, pick your side kind of a thing? What happens after Armageddon? So after Armageddon, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I can explain to you what I was taught and sure. I can explain to you what I've learned that the organization is teaching now. Okay. It's really, I mean, Go for it. they are going deep into this, like, doomsday stuff. Okay. I'm talking about videos of, like, witnesses being in bunkers and the, or and the world governments are only seeking out Jehovah's Witnesses to destroy them. And that's the sign that Armageddon is here. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. Um, not any other religion. Just Jehovah's Witnesses, because it's a true religion. Um, I've seen their propaganda now, and it's very different from what I was told, you know, when I was in the religion. But um, so Armageddon comes, and, you know, people will ask me when knocking on the door, do you believe that everyone's going to die that's not a Jehovah's Witness? And you're just like, well, no, because Jehovah knows your heart. Like, you know, that was always mm, our answer. Jehovah yeah. knows your heart. Like, you know, we're all imperfect, blah, blah, blah. But then <laughs> you're also taught that, that if you're a worldly person, which is how I refer to who's not in the organization, worldly, um, and someone had an opportunity to witness you and you didn't take it, even if you were having a bad day, I don't know, and the, and the end comes that you're going to die. And what's going to happen is after all that destruction happens and all the witnesses are saved, then we spend the time cleaning up the aftermath. So that's what we do. So we, we pile up the bodies, the bodies left to the birds, so to speak. We start rebuilding society rebuilding the earth on a paradise and then witnesses who have passed will start being resurrected into a paradise and start and you the old will grow young again and all these things like you're going to be you're going to work towards perfection um you, you know you won't die i mean it, it goes it, there's a lot that goes and into it i mean yeah <laughs> well it's, it, what's fascinating to me is it's not like the rapture angle where all the good people just get sucked away and then mm -hmm. the bad the wicked are left to kind of like deal with the aftermath you're still around essentially right. you're watching all this go down so, the bad people all die and then you're like the cure, new curators of the earth yes. essentially so there so jehovah's witnesses believe that only a certain amount will go to heaven mm. The 144,000 is oh, their right. number. The magic number yeah. stuff, yeah. Magic number. And then the rest of the ones who aren't anointed are going to live forever on paradise. And mm. I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. I don't want to go to heaven. I love the earth. I'm yeah. a big outdoorsy person. I'm like, this is what I'm a big world. fan of the earth myself. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the earth. So, you know, like, I like it here. So, like, <laughs> this is where I don't want to be. Up, I don't know what's up, what's happening up there. Okay. It doesn't make a party to me. I like it here. So, I just wanted to be on earth. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I'm not anointed. Like, you know, and, and by the way, the only way to find out if you're anointed, you just know. So, oh, you just, you just know. You feel it. You just know. Okay. That's, that's how, okay. that's how Fair people enough. know. They just know. Um, 
but yeah, so that the remaining people on the earth that are that you survive Armageddon, we rebuild into the paradise. Interesting. So yeah. So uh, the 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 door to door work. Did you do any of the what the public witnessing? The the like. Um, set up a booth in a square. That's more of a new thing, to is be it? honest. Yes. I saw that in the uh, that apostasy movie, where the, that was what that girl was part of, right? I wish I could do that. Imagine just sitting in a booth and counting your hours. Ugh, I'd be on my phone the whole time. We live in life. No, I was way back when when I had to go knock on doors and walk down all these streets in blistering heat, rain, snow, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked for those hours. Okay, <laughs> I've seen people do that. Um, and they set up their booths, and if someone comes up to them, they talk to them. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've literally had to open up gates and just hope it's not a dog around the corner sure. or someone with a gun. Like, that's what I did in field ministry. So that really wasn't a thing. That's like, interesting. Yeah, when I was a Jehovah's Witness, that's kind of like, you know, now nowadays they, they do everything on their phone, like their Bible stuff. They'll show people on the phone. And I stuff saw that like there's that. like yeah. digital evangelism now or yeah. outreach through the org website and so on and so forth. No, right? I had to like literally sift through the scriptures in front of you. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's just, I mean, it's, it's a different organization now than I feel like it was when I was in it. That's crazy. Um, all right. So let's get into, so at what point, so you were in it and you were, you were not, you were, you're, you're doing door to door. You're feeling good. What, what were the sort of the earliest underpinnings of like, wait a minute, this mm-hmm. doesn't, this doesn't seem like it's all that it's cracked up to be. Like, what was the earliest time that you started seeing the, I mean, it's like so many things. I feel like as I got older, I saw a lot of hypocrisy mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of people living double lives, and it was very frustrating. Um, and I saw I saw a lot of like, just like things that made me feel ick, you know, just people doing things they're not supposed to be doing. And then reading some of the literature that was coming in, which is very like it's very controlling. It's very you're not supposed to question anything. So even if they change something from one year to the next, like you just have to just take it as like a new understanding and just go with it. And as I got older, I'm, I'm a very stubborn person. And I just was like, okay, this, some of this doesn't make sense, but you're not supposed to question anything because it's not for you to understand. Of course. You know, it's coming from the governing body who is guided by God, really. Who works in mysterious ways yes. and every other, yep. And Jehovah's Witnesses, um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot. And any Jehovah's Witness, ex-Jehovah's Witness, whatever, watching this, they know this. It's a lot of gossip, mm. like a lot of chisme that goes along in the. In, That's all of it. Yes, and so you're you're t- you're encouraged to rat on other Jehovah's Witnesses. Ask about that. Yes, so if you see someone, um, you know, doing something that, that they think is wrong, and we find out that you saw them do that and you didn't tell the elders, then you can get in trouble too. Just the same as the person doing the. Marissa wrong went to a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm dead to anything that they, they think is suspicious. And it could be totally that they misunderstood the situation, but they have to go to the elders. That that was, was so frustrating when I got older. I was like, I felt so much. You already feel pressure of the last days, Armageddon coming. Conversion. Yes, you feel pressure that I'm not doing enough. Does Jehovah, I, I mean, I have doubts, but does he always can read my mind? Like, does he know that I'm having doubts? Am I am, am, am I going to make it if Armageddon comes? We're living in the last days, you know? And then you have all this pressure, and then you have all these people. And I grew up in a small town, and there's all different congregations in this small town, and I knew everybody. Mm. And everybody knew me. And I felt like if I did anything that looked 
you know, wrong that they, I was going to get in trouble for it. And it's like, you just, I felt so trapped in that town and I felt so like, I couldn't have the time to like, really like think about really what I believe. Mm. Um, and so I moved from a small town at Almogordo to still a small town of Las Cruces, New Mexico. They're like 45 minutes away from each other. And I tried to just separate myself a little bit from these people. How old are you about this time? I was like 19, mm-hmm. 18, 19. Okay. And, but the thing is my parents helped me, helped move me. So they, it, then they dr- took me directly to a kingdom hall. Of course. So they transfer your records from one to the new one. So now all my records are with the new congregation. People I don't really know, but now they know where I live. And they have all the information on me because you mm. tell you tell them everything, okay? And it didn't really give me an opportunity to do what I wanted to do, which was get space. Mm. Um, they kind of expected you to like branch out and now start like yeah doing well, your I own was, thing over in Las Cruces. Parents, I was just moving so I can just be preaching in a different territory, pretty much. Like I was just like spreading the spreading the good news spreading over the love, yep. yeah. And what they didn't know is I was trying to get away from all the prying eyes that were adding so sure. much anxiety and pressure to me. So I could start somewhere new where people, maybe people didn't know I was Jehovah's Witness. Maybe I can just kind of like live my life. Um, but it doesn't really work that way <laughs> because now I knew they, I met all the people in this congregation and now this congregation, these people know me. So I kind of started the same thing over for me. And it, part of the reason why everything happened the way it did, because I couldn't get that. I couldn't start fresh. Like they didn't allow me to do that. They just transferred my life from yeah. this small town to the other place, and I dealt with the exact same thing. Just different people. Just different people, but it was the exact same thing. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, these elders, do they, so do they regionally congregate? Do they go to like special elder, like conferences that are, where they kind of like calibrate? Or are these dudes all just? No, I mean, so imagine them like little police, like, you know, police chiefs or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they're given information on how to shepherd their flock. Okay. So like each, each congregation has different elders, right? And each elders are responsible for gathering information and giving it to the organization, the headquarters in New York. Okay. And so they get their orders, their parking orders from like the organization and they just spread, they just do what the organization tells them to do. So I didn't find out till years and years and years, years later that they actually have a book, like a manual they have to follow. But Joe's Witnesses still don't know to the day that they do this. And there is like, it breaks down everything from like, um, I don't know if I said it, but like sexual abuse and like pedophilia and from like um, domestic violence and like all these things that they have to respond a certain way to. Mm. So regardless of the situation, regardless of They have an of SOP action, for every single... Everything that happens... Huh. They have to respond in a certain way. So I didn't know that to like, I would, and, and most Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses don't even know that they do that, but they do. Mm. Um, so really they're just, they're everyone's just barking the orders pretty okay. much, but they're, give, they're given those orders. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so, and so whenever there's like a situation that arises where there's like, you know, somebody is going off the rails or whatever, like, does that start off like a an investigation period or how does how does it work like um when you get in trouble and it's time to like meet with them or whatever like how does the remediation work um so there's different ways to get in trouble so i've been in trouble before 
Um, what was the first, let's let's go there. So <laughs> all right, so you're you're living in Las Cruces. Yes. You're starting to try to gain distance. What's the first time that you started getting sort of like the hairy eyeball from the organization, and they're they're trying to like. I mean, the funny thing is, they wouldn't even know. But you, you like I, you you you're taught to like rat on yourself, and that's what I did. Oh no, you didn't. I did. Yeah. So I moved and I got a tattoo. You know. Oh my god. Um. So I got a tattoo, and <laughs> I don't know why. I just felt like I I felt so guilty about it. You know, and I was like, oh my god, like Jober, he saw that I did this. I gotta tell the elders, blah blah. blah. And um, so I ended up telling the elders that I got a tattoo. And it's a big one, you know. And then they were like, they ask a lot of questions. So they have like, um, it's called like a judicial meeting is what, what it's called. And I can go into that more. Um, but for this instance, um, they talk, they go, well, what'd you get? Like, is it a place that we could see it? And really, I did show it to them. And it's across my ribs down to, mm. okay. But, which should have been like a red flag anyways. But, you know, you just don't think like that. And, um. So, but I was like, but I felt really bad about it. And I told them, they, I, someone didn't tell me, I told them. So they're like, okay, she's repentant. But still, she did what she did. So she needs to get in trouble. So I got publicly reproved. And that's when you do something that, that you showed repentance for. So they're not going to like yeah. communicate you. Right. But you lose all privileges. Like you can't, um, I, I can't like pioneer or anything like that. I can't, I can't raise my hand and answer at the meetings. I can't have any type of like, um, what they they call it they like, bench you they call it privileges it's like just free labor but you can't do any of that stuff but i was like, gonna say yeah. oh no i don't have to I get know. my 70 hours in um so that's being publicly approved and they announce it so they just say like like it's like, i forget exactly how they announce it because um, it is different when you leave or disfellowshipped sure. it's it is different but everyone knows that you kind of messed up and that's where all the gossiping starts like what does she do and oh like, no they probably think that i had like sexual name i'm like no i just got a tattoo and i told on myself um because i felt so guilty about it so they just announced they announced who's on the on the on the list but they don't really like go through and like they don't still say three what? Counts of heresy. yeah right. no, they don't like they don't do that all right yeah <laughs> so so was that the first time that you was the tattoo thing like your first sort of like encounter with the enforcement side of yeah. of the world okay that's when i was like scared the most why did you get the tattoo was it just like uh you just you, you, you wanted to <laughs> yeah. you're 19 uh, and you want to live your life yeah i just was like i always love tattoos i always have and i was like well i live alone now like you know like i can i can just go get it mm. you know and i just felt like i always had this thing where i'm gonna do what i want to do you know yeah. And I went by myself and I just, just went and did it. And I knew the, ta I, I knew this guy, I met him, um, working and I was like, Oh, he does tattoo, blah, blah, blah. I was getting tattoo. But then immediately afterward, I was like, Oh my God. Like, I just felt like, even though at that point in time, just for reference, I started drifting away. So when I moved to Las Cruces, like I really, the whole point was, I wanted to fade. That's yeah. what it's called. It's called fading. Yeah. So I wanted to fade, which means that they don't, they can't keep track of you because they don't know where you live. They don't know anything about you. You just stop going to meetings. So you, they can't find you to, to disfellowship you. And that just, it, there's a series of events of what happened to me, why it happened, but I wasn't able to fade away. And do they send people? Like, do they send? Do they outreach to try to like, if they know where you live, do they send people yeah. to try to evangelize you back into? Yeah, exactly. The fold? Yeah, they're called shepherding calls, and um, so 
but I, I was, I wasn't interested in any of that because I, I would, I didn't feel spiritually weak. I just did, I just wanted space to reevaluate sure. why I believed what I believed, and you know, and why. I don't know. Like, am, am I going to choose this path or am I going to choose this path? Like, I you don't get a breath to really think about anything because it is constant indoctrination and constant, like, filling your mind up with all these things. I just needed a breath. I just needed space to just figure it out. I was so young. And I was just, like, and all I knew was, like, everything that I was taught. And, you know, what it came down to was just, I mean, if if you want to go into the story, like what actually happened, like as far as like being disfellowshipped or disassociated, like the the, reason, sure. the big, the big trouble that I got into, um, it's kind of a crazy story. So I moved to Las Cruces. Okay. I'm trying to fade, just mind my own business. Okay. I didn't get the opportunity to do that. Um, and I moved in with a friend who grew up as a Jehovah's Witness too. And I'm just gonna say I won't say her name or anything like that. I this is not her fault. Like any of this happening, like at all. Like it just this is how it is. What it is. It is what it is. Um, so we lived together. I loved her. She was such a fun time. She was great. She grew up as Jehovah's Witness, but she wasn't baptized. I was, and I was older than her. Um, and we both kind of started like just living our lives. So I wasn't going to meetings anymore and I met my ex at the time and um, I just started like started making all these new friends and like, you know, but I was still part of, I still had all my Jehovah's Witness friends too. And they kind of knew something was off because like the ones from Almogordo really didn't know that I wasn't really attending all the meetings in Los Cruces. Like, you know, we're separate from each other, sure. but they would still like reach out. We still hang out like randomly, you know, like it was it was great. It's like I finally got what it felt like to feel normal. Like I can have worldly friends and I can have my Jehovah's Witness friends and just live life. Um, and I, what really like triggered me to think that I don't want to be part of this organization. And this is so random, and it, but it's very true. Um, I met these two girls um, and they were gay. And um, it, when I first met them, I was like the first gay people I ever met. Like, I never met anyone gay. And I was just like, oh, my God, it's so interesting, da, 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 you know? And then we became friends. We, we, we go on camping trips together. Like, and I just remember thinking, like, I can't hate these people. Right. Like, it is, it is, there's nothing wrong with them. And I just, like, and I know it sounds, like, so small, but I just remember thinking, like, how can something, like, how can an organization, like, say these people are bad or they're gonna die or anything i just like i just didn't get that you know what i mean like and so it was the start of the end for me and then i really separated myself like i kind of just like did my own thing well my best friend we were friends for years and years and years um she her family's job was witnesses so she's she's in it like i like how i am and she was kind of started getting into the religion seriously because she wasn't baptized. I was remember. So yep. she wasn't, she wasn't a participating member like I was. Sure. And at this point I'm living with my, my ex, my boyfriend at the time and his mom. And, um, she's starting to study and she's about to get baptized. She's trying to get baptized. And the elders in the congregation, they didn't know where I live. Cause I moved from the apartment with her. Cause we used to live together to my boyfriend's house. Mm. So, they were trying to call me and I wouldn't answer because I was like, I just want to be left alone. And I mean, all 
the time they would call me all the time. And then she started calling me and she was just like, Hey, Victoria, you have to, you, you know, you really have to talk to the elders. Like they're asking me about you. Like, you know, you just need to just have a talk, a conversation with them. They're just trying to help you. They're just trying to help you. And I was like, no, they're not. Like I just, I just need space. Well, then they knew that I have a soft spot for her and that's it's they they used her they manipulated her to get to me mm-hmm. i mean when i say the amount of messages i got from her just saying like please she's like, this is she's like i'm trying to get baptized i'm trying to do what's right like your spirituality is affecting my spirituality because again if you think about it you're told that if you see your brother or sister take like a wrong step that you are responsible for them and she obviously knew i was living with my boyfriend Obviously, we're having premarital sex. Obviously, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Even though no one else really gave me a hard time, like she was really upset. She felt about compelled it. because she really thinks yes. she's actually trying to save you. And she's being told while she's studying at the congregation, hey, you know, Victoria, I know you know her. I know you guys are friends. You need to get her back. You need to get her back. And finally, I don't know. And honestly, I wish I didn't do this, but. I mean, finally, I told her, I was like, you know what? If it's really stumbling you, is what they call it. If I'm really stumbling you, I was like, fine. If they want to come to my house, which is the worst mistake I ever made, like besides being baptized. Um, I was like, okay, you can give it my address if you want. I wish. I, t- I take it that went well. <laughs> I wish I knew then what I know now because I would have got lawyers involved. They were literally harassing me. They, they, The things that they were doing, they legally cannot do and i just gave him so much power over me because i didn't really have a full understanding of it um i'm talking about immediately these people showed up to my boyfriend's mother's house that's where i lived and she answered the door and there's you have these guys in suits at the door asking for me and she she came to me and she's like they want to talk to you and i was like it's fine like that and uh she's like do you want me to leave you alone with them and i'm like because it's not a normal thing but in my head i was like it's like normal how many people is this um, I believe it was two elders uh-huh. that showed up. Okay. One I kind of knew, but the other one I, I didn't really know. Like, I mean, when I say kind of knew, like I met him like maybe twice because I wasn't going to the meetings. Yeah. And um, so they we go into the living room and my boyfriend's mom goes to her room and I'm just thinking like, I'm just so frustrated that they were here. Like, I just want to be left alone, you know? And so they're talking to me, like reading scriptures to me and they're like, so obviously you live here with, a man, you know, and I'm like, yeah. And then I'm starting to get sassy, okay, because I'm upset, okay? And I'm like, yeah, my boyfriend. Well, I mean, so are you having mm. sex mm. with him? And I was like, yeah. Because I was like, what? Who are these dudes? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just felt like, you know, I was just so upset and I was so frustrated. And I was like, why are you here? And they're just like judging me and mm. like, just, it was so frustrating. And then they start asking about, more in-depth questions about sex and more it just started getting really uncomfortable I got really frustrated and they said well we need to get you back to the kingdom hall to have a judicial meeting which is like the official like meeting that you have to have okay and i said no i said i just want you to leave me alone i i i'm just asking you to give me space and you guys aren't doing that and they said you know, well, you are a baptized member. You're bringing a reproach upon Jehovah's name. And that is a huge no-no to make Jehovah's Witnesses look bad. And I was making him look bad. And so they said, you have to go back for a judicial meeting. And I said, no, 
Because then now I have to talk to three elders in a judicial meeting. Yeah. And they decide my fate and I have to grovel and apologize for something I don't want to apologize for. And then they get the satisfaction of saying, no, we're going to kick you out. Like, I just don't want to do that. I wanted to take my power back. So I said, I don't want to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore. And they, the look. They told them that straight up. Yes. The look they gave me was like just such shock and then kind of like frustration like they didn't know what to do with me and i said um what can i do right now that you just leave this house and never talk to me ever again and they go well we can't disfellowship we can't disfellowship you unless you have a judicial meeting right, right. they said but you can disassociate yourself which is different which most people didn't know that i just disassociated myself and i said okay and they go well you have to write a letter and i said where's pen and paper <laughs> and yeah i was like Okay, it's like there's like the Little Mermaid with Ursula. Like, okay, and I signed my whole like my boys, my whole life away. Like I didn't even know. Okay, I was signing my life away to Ursula. But anyways, so I literally right then and there, I said I my name no longer identifies one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and I signed and dated it, gave it to him. Right. Damn. So then they left, and then I don't know. It was probably like. I don't know, two weeks later or something like that, um, I get a call from my mom. And uh, she's crying. She's upset and all this stuff. you know. And then she was like, so she thought at first I got disfellowship. And she's like, How? I mean, but the thing is, she knew I lived with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew all these things. But it didn't matter until the organization knew. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seems to be a common theme in a lot of these things where it's like, as long as everything's sort of like on the DL. Yeah, it's okay. Plausible deniabilities. Uh, yeah. Like we literally went to dinner together. Like, she she loved him. Right, like right, they, right, right. They really liked him. And it was just, anyways. So she was really upset, you know, and, and she said some things. And then, you know, that was that. And then I got a call, like, a few days later. She goes, did you disassociate yourself? Oh, she's like, oh, you did this on purpose. Which is, this is the thing, though. When they so they announce when you when you leave the this fellowship associate whatever they announce it. Sure. On the podium sure. in the congregation, they say your name mm-hmm. is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. So everyone can gasp <gasps> and like, and I'll try to guess what you did and why you're not a Jehovah's Witness, right? But they're not supposed to tell you that I disassociated myself. I was just no longer a Jehovah's Witness. So but that's where the gossip comes in. So people are gossiping from one congregation to they live in a totally different town mm-hmm. and told them something they're not supposed to tell them that I disassociated myself. And to her, that was like the worst thing I could possibly do. Because then I was like, that was like the verge of apostate. Yeah. yeah. I didn't it's worse than it's worse than getting kicked out because yeah, you did something wrong. Like, you're just you're you you're like, nope. I see yes. what this is all about. It's no, like a thank slap you. In the face. And it's like, yeah. to them, it's like, to her, it wasn't that I got in trouble and I repented, but right. I wasn't repentful enough. And the elders decided they were going to take me away from right. the congregation. Right. I chose to leave. And when she found that out, everything changed. And then it was just, you know, you know, we, we, this is not going to be the same anymore, blah, blah, blah. Like you chose this and da, da, da. And, you know, just very dramatic and very traumatized. Everything was very traumatizing because it, it when they announced it, all of my friends, I got either an email or a text from them, pretty much telling me they're never talking to me again until I come back. All like all at once, and so I was already feeling like super overwhelmed and super alone, and 
my boyfriend at the time was like, this is weird. Cause he doesn't even know, he didn't yeah. really understand it. And he's like, what? He's like, I hang, he's like, I hung out with them the other, like the other day. He's like, those people, he goes, but they're, they're cool with me. Like they, I'm like, it's not, it's not the same because I left. They will, they'll probably talk to you. If we were together, they would talk to him and not talk to me. Yeah. 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 Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Your persona like, non grata. Yep. Yeah. It's like, they're like, I was like the scarlet letter over here and like splashing red or whatever. And it's like, I was a bad person and it was very confusing to him and have anyone to talk to you about it. Because if you think about it as a Jehovah's witness, like you're not supposed to have worldly friends. So my whole life, all I had were Jehovah's witness friends. And then when I got older, I made a, yeah, a little group of my friends, but like I'm talking about your whole life and everyone stopping, like stop talking to you in a matter of a week and they still don't talk to me. This is like years and years and years ago. But it was so traumatizing. I was just like, I I felt a lot of loss uh, for a long time. And then you run into them because you're in a small town. Of course. And they will literally walk on the other side of the street. And you know, they look, they, you, it's so awkward because you look at each other like you know each other. And then you're just like, <laughs> and it, it's so, it's so unnatural to treat someone that you care about in such a bad way. It's not yeah, yeah. that's not human nature to be that way. So you could tell they feel uncomfortable, I feel uncomfortable, but I made to feel bad bad. Yeah. Because now like I'm the wicked person. I'm the wicked one they can't associate with. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And well there's two halves to it, right? The sinister side of this is that dissenting ideas are infectious. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very much in the best interest to train people to say that as soon as a person's on the out, don't associate with them because it's most it's not just because you don't want to be tainted by their sin. It's also because you don't want to start listening to these people that might make some sense and start <laughs> to deconvert yeah. other people, right? So what better way to do that than to create a system that says, nope, when these people are excommunicated, they're on that out. You need to not associate with them because they know that behind pri- closed doors blood can be thicker than water and people can have conversations and you might inadvertently start to, they don't want to run away effect where suddenly half the congregation decides, Oh wait, this is all not good. Right. Right. And it's because you were the first one out and then you started to spread the word of like, Hey, life isn't that bad. Look, I have all these friends and they're awesome people too. And they're, they're good people. They're good natured. Yeah. They're gay, but who cares? Right. They're, they're good hearted. And if Jehovah is supposed to know your heart, right. So this, these are runaway effects that I think psychologically, a lot of these systems are very, very much aware yeah, of. And I'm, so they I'm, create a, now I'm like a, a, a dangerous person and sure. it's because really the whole organization, the whole goal is to, have a good name like they're they're how people view them like you know sure. what i mean they're different from the world like they don't do all these things that other religions do you know and so the thing about disfellowshipping and disassociation they are two different things and originally in the doctrine the doctrine their beliefs before a disfellowship person is someone who does something bad and they don't yeah. repent so they remove them from the congregation right. so it's like they don't spoil the congregation right for years and years up you were allowed to leave. If you didn't believe anymore, you were allowed to leave and your family could still talk to you. Mm. Cause you did not necessarily commit a sin. You're yeah. just leaving. Yeah, right? You're just not doing that anymore. And then like that went on for a long time. And then the doctrine changed where they were going to consider disassociation or people leaving the same as this is being disfellowship. Mm. And it wasn't like that for a long, long time. Probably cause they had a lot of runaway threads, right? So yeah. So then they changed the doctrine. So now we're viewed the same way, even though, I just wanted to leave. 
I'm still considered someone. I mean, yeah, I guess I am unrepentful because I'm just like, what do you want me to repent for? Like, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. But, I mean, they just they put you in a group and they want you far, far, far Super away. Super far. So they don't want me to tell anyone. Like, they don't want another Jehovah's Witness to see me and be like, oh man, she got she got she has a a nice house. She has a great job. She has she's happy. She has friends. Like, no, the world's supposed to chew her up and spit her out. Like. I'm supposed to be this, this, do you see what happened to her when she left? Like, do you see how sad de- she is depressed now? She's crying in the corner. I have bags under my eyes for days. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's the, in, in their propaganda videos now, that's what they show people who leave. Yep. Like, they look miserable. They don't want to see someone like at Coachella be like, woo, you know, like, like living their life or whatever, <laughs> exactly. or Burning Man. They want to see someone like in the corner, like just crying and upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they can't have someone like me around them because it's dangerous for other witnesses and be like, oh, Hundred percent. Okay, she's thriving. You know, and I mean, honestly, I didn't thrive at first, but I was like in a very—I mean, that was a very confusing time in my life. Um, but if they see me now, I'm like, okay, well, she's a normal person. I mean, as normal as it can be, but she's a normal person. Um, I shouldn't be like that. I should be—I should be on my hands and knees, yeah, waiting to come back, right? And destitute on a corner somewhere just yes. oh why did i do that where have like, i gone look wrong what satan did, look, look what satan's world did to her yeah. and that was like the whole the whole point and then you know when my mom and dad finally like really like put the nails in the coffin um with our relationship which was years and years ago um because they were kind of like soft shunning me at first sure. and then and then it came to like full like hard shunning so like the zero communication, zero acknowledgement of my existence. Um, we do not talk at all. Um, they, to them, they feel like they're getting all this information fed to them. Like stay loyal, loyal, loyal. Loyalty is the word of the day mm-hmm. to that organization, and be loyal above anything else. They say it's loving, but really it's about loyalty. Loyalty to what they're taught, and that, and them saying staying strong to Jehovah by shunning me, because the only way that I will come back is if I am stripped of everything that I am. They took my nephews from me. They took my friends from me. They took my parents from me. They took everything that I ever knew away from me because their goal was to break me as a person. Mm-hmm isolate me mm-hmm. and make me be like well i need to come back because i felt love there but that's really not what it is like you know what i mean that's not love it's abuse and it's constant mm-hmm. and you think after all these years my my parents or anyone that i that knew me would just would say something nice to me or just like try to reach out to me or you know for for anything they completely just don't acknowledge my existence whatsoever. And they really do feel like if they do that, then I'll come back. Like, because they think it's a discipline that Jehovah's giving me and they don't want to get in the way of that discipline. Mm -hmm. And they're just doing what they're told to be doing. Like, they're going to save my life. Like, if they treat me like I don't exist, like, they're going to save my life. And I don't, I mean, I get that because I do, and it sounds weird. I was literally there. I believe that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like I literally stopped talking to a friend of mine when he got disfellowshipped. I was going to ask you, were you ever on the other side of that? Were you ever uh, witness to somebody that was getting yes. kicked out or disfellowshipped? 
I have shame too. <laughs> like, I mean, well, I mean, but I mean, yes, I mean, I literally did it to my one of my oldest friends. Like, he, I think it was like seventeen, and I don't know, he slept with somebody or something. I don't know. I don't know what boys do. And he got his fellowship, and I wrote him this email, my little self righteous self, and I was like, you know, and I was like, I, I feel awful about it to be honest. Um, but I was like. You know, the world's ending. We're living in the last days. I want to see you next to me in paradise. Like, I literally have the email I sent. Like, I was just so, ugh. And um, I was so upset. And I was like, oh, my God, he's leaving. Da, da, da. And uh, he printed it out and put it on his wall. And he got reinstated. It's called, re- he got reinstated. And he was like, yeah, I, I look at that email every day. And, like, he's like, you know, your, your conviction. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm just thinking, oh, my God. Like, I... One, I felt awful that I did that because I believed it. Like, I did. I believed it. I was like, okay, I'm going to save his life. I'm going to bring him back. I'm going to mm. guilt trip him. Like, the guilt trip me. Like, you know what I mean? I was also super young. I think I was like, we're the same age. I think I was like 16, 17. And I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, people, you know, you look at kids' posts on, like, Instagram and TikTok. We all say stupid stuff, okay? But then I, <laughs> but I have the That's incredibly of- mature. <laughs> I have the <laughs> backing of god okay so like i'm like what i say is validated you know and um yeah and we don't talk anymore obviously because he did get reinstated and um we obviously lost touch but so i do see like i cannot be a hypocrite and say that i will never do that because i literally did do that to people i did stop talking to them too um well i think what people have to appreciate is it it came from a good place, right? This is, you weren't, you weren't like, okay, well, let me, how, let me, how can I manipulate him back into the organization, right? It wasn't at that level. I, I try to think of it in a different light. So a uh, quick personal story is I used to have a friend that became a straight up alcoholic, like, and he was about to have a, a kid with a girl that he got pregnant and all this other stuff, right? There's a whole backstory to it. And when you look at something like alcoholism, right, that he was going down a route and as one of his best friends, I felt absolutely compelled to try to reach out to him and help him, save him, right? Same concept. What did I do? I tried to talk with him. I tried to visit with him. And I eventually wrote him like a really long, like three-page letter, right? Trying to save my friend from alcoholism, which nobody would argue is like a better life, right? I, but when you believe in that, in your conviction that you're actually trying to help somebody, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? Yeah. It's just I think I think what's what's disturbing about the concept is when what you're what you think that you're saving them from isn't isn't really that thing is it isn't really that that heavy or that that bad, right? Right. If you were actually going down a really actual bad route of like you were a drug addict and you were becoming an alcoholic yourself, all that outreach yes. may have worked. And it and you might even be sitting here differently telling a different story today where it's like, well, they fucking saved me, right? But instead, it was more just like, no, no, no. I, you know, I've taken all of the good teachings that I've gotten from my religion. Thank you very much, mom and dad. Thank you very much, organization. And now I'm living my life and I'm living it in a positive way. And I, I, I imagine what you were maybe hoping for is not not just that space, but just like, yo, I put in my time and I'm a good person. So just get off my back and let me be a good person. And they're just like, yeah, but it's more than that. And that's where it's a little perhaps not not awesome is that it's the loyalty thing that you're talking about. It's right. more than just being a good person. It's also towing the line and never saying anything and never. It's completely about the loyalty thing. It's it's you're only seen as. You're only seen in one way, and it's not about how charismatic you are, how funny you are, how good-hearted you are. It's all about 
your loyalty to the organization and you right. following the rules and and you're just seen as one thing and that's that is it's very extremely um it's a lot of pressure on you because i knew no matter you know if i was good to all these elderly people in my congregation and let me tell you i spent a lot of time with them okay i always make sure to talk to them hug them make sure they felt special or whatever that didn't even matter because i had people who were just being little brats or whatever you know elders kids just doing whatever they wanted to do and we were still kind of viewed the same because technically they were still like following the same putting in their hours yeah and in the end i'm still the one that's going to be excommunicated all because i don't believe this ever-changing doctrine and these people who aren't maybe necessarily the best people are put on a pedestal and they're the ones that, you know, Jehovah's going to save them. Like, and I kept thinking, if Jehovah knows my heart, like he knows I'm not a bad person. And I mean, I just felt like Jehovah would know. Like there's no way that he would let me die in Armageddon. Because I, when I first left, I, I did, my mind, I'm heavily indoctrinated, okay? So sure. like maybe I don't believe everything, but I believe a lot still. And I really did feel like I was going to die in Armageddon. And I was like, okay, like, it's just heavy, you know, and you're, and then you're, and, and you just feel like the world's a bad place. And now, and now I felt alone. And I was like, oh my God, all I have now are my boyfriend and his mom, who I didn't know that well. And these friends that I met who were kind of just like, we don't know each other like that. And I was like, oh my God, just me and them. Like, I don't have anybody. And I try to go back to meetings and I sat there and you, no one talks to you. Oh, you tried to go back? I did. Wow. Yeah. Because when I say I was in a dark place, I was messed up. Mm. And I, like, it was a lot. Um, So, yeah, I did try to maybe change my heart because I just felt like I just, I, my heart wasn't in it, but I thought maybe I just need to go back, Yeah. you know? So I went back um, a couple of meetings, not a lot. And people who would like, who knew me wouldn't talk to me. Then you, you can't go before the meeting starts because people are talking, socializing. You're not allowed to socialize. So you wait till after the meeting starts, you sit in the back and then you leave immediately after the prayer at the end. You are not allowed to stay mm. and hang out. Yep. So everyone sees you walking. It's just like, it's just. It's yeah, like, they got to show you the like, reindeer games like, that you're not allowed to be in. Game of it's like shame, yeah, shame, yeah, 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 yeah. shame. Of course. That's how it really part of the, is. It's all part of, the, yeah, part of the ritual. And I took my boyfriend with me at the time to one, um, the memorial, which is like, she was going to celebrate it once a year. It's like their biggest night, okay? And I took him, and my friends who he met through me would talk to him and hug him, and then they would ignore me. And then you're, when a witness, because they haven't seen me in a long time, they'd be like, oh, hi, I'm sister so-and-so, blah, blah. I would have to tell them that I'm a disfellowship disassociated. You have to announce yourself? Yeah. I mean, they don't tell you absolutely. But, like It's like it's kind of like a, a given thing. Like, you just you tell them. So I'm just like, you know, I'm actually, sorry, sister. I'm like disfellowshipped or whatever, or disassociated or whatever. And they'd be like, and their whole demeanor would just change. immediately drop. And my boyfriend at the time was just like, you know, this is like, this is awful. Like how people are treating you, right? And I'm like, but you're so used to the abuse, like the mental abuse, right? Like you're made to feel ashamed and all these things. So like, you're just like so used to it and you're just like, okay, well, yeah, I should be shamed. I should be publicly flogged 
or whatever. But when you have an outsider's perspective and he was just like, this is really messed up. Like how he's like, so-and-so just talked to you not like not too long ago. He's like, look how they're treating you now. He's like, why, why would she talk to me but not talk to you? And I was like, well, because, you know, he's like, I don't understand that. He goes, that's not, he goes, that's not, that's really wrong, Victoria. And I was like, well, I'm being punished. And that, that was my mindset. I really did feel like, yeah. I mean, I was all kinds of messed up because I was trying to, I was brainwashed. I think indoctrination is brainwashing, but I was brainwashed and made to believe all these things about me. And, but I'm also trying to navigate what I really believe. And that's really hard to do Mm -hmm. because your mind's already filled. My my brain is filled with everything the public, the organization taught me, every watchtower, every awake, every pamphlet, everything. So I'm trying to learn new things, but my brain already thinks a certain way. Like yep. It's really hard transition from one belief to another belief. It's Super hard. really hard. Super hard. And it took me a very long time. And that's why I never talked about it for years about me being a Jehovah's Witness. People, people that knew me for years would never even really know, like, really the real story because I thought, oh, I have to protect the organization, which is crazy. But I really did think that. So I got to protect the organization. My parents are part of it. My nephews, my family, my friends. Like, I have to protect them. If I talk bad about him, it's going to bring, you know, bad light to like the organization. So I just suffered in silence for a very, very long time and just was like, well, I guess <laughs> I, I, I mean, if I talk about it, I'm an apostate, you know, and I was really scared of that word, like really scared of that word um, because that's like the unforgivable sin. Mm. If you're an apostate, like mm. it's over for yep, you. Yep. If you talk bad about the organization. And so I didn't. So people would ask me about it and I would just like extended family be like, Where you been, Victoria? We haven't seen you. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm just busy. No. My parents don't want anything to do with me. They didn't invite me to anything. They didn't tell me anything. Like I but how do I say that to someone who doesn't understand? Yeah. So it's like That's a lot to unpack to try to Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's like then it makes my parents look bad. It makes my family look bad. So it's like so I just disappeared. Yep. Not because I wanted to but because I felt like an obligation to protect them. But then I was deeply isolating myself and, you know, I had depression, anxiety, all these things. And then, and then you start thinking, well, maybe the, it's because I left Jehovah. I left the organization. Like, that's why I feel this bad. Mm-hmm. No, you feel this bad because people are treating you badly. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the religion. I, and it's like when, you're, when there's people in prison yeah. and you get in trouble, what do they do? They Isolate keep, you. They throw you in isolation. Why? It's a form of punishment. Yeah. Because humans need interaction. They need to feel validated. They need to feel seen. They need to feel loved. All those things. So they do something to you that really messes with your mind and who you are. And they take everything from you. And they isolate you. And they say, okay, well, I love you so much. I'm willing to do this. Like, do you know how hard it is for me to do this to you? And that's 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 all I got. Like I was hurting them so much, even though I was the one getting punished. So your mind is like, like a battered wife, and you're thinking like, "Oh, I deserve that. Yep. Oh, I deserve it. Look how bad. Look how look how hard they're struggling. Like right. punishing me. Like right. it's like this constant like battle of like just accepting the abuse, but still thinking it's your fault. Right. Because they're trying to better you. And meanwhile, for them, right? Sure, it's it's 
maybe partially painful for everybody, but they still have right. their fellowship. They still get to get together. They still get to do all the things. They have together. the support that you don't have. And at some yeah. point I have to imagine you're just kind of out of sight, out of mind. And it's really mm-hmm. not that forefront to them as it is for you in complete isolation. Right. Right. It's very, just very different being on the other side of it. For so, sure. so, so subtracting the social side of it. So like in your quiet times, when you're sitting, when you're sitting alone, were you also like, I mean, were you talking to God? Were you, were you thinking to yourself like, or did you really kind of feel like God can't be this mad at me? Like, you, did you see it for what it was, which was purely social? Or did you really feel like where you're sitting there going, man, I really hope I'm not in actual trouble? Um, I mean. Did you still, I mean, were you still praying or anything on your own? I prayed a little bit. Sure. I mean, like when times get really bad, like you just like, really, it's just like self-meditation where you're talking to yourself. Because like, I didn't know really what I believed anymore. I was trying to break down all these ideas of what Jehovah, what God is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can say now I'm agnostic, so I don't like have a firm belief. Like, you know, sure, this, same, is, this same. is actually God's name and this is this, all this stuff, you know? So, but I mean, yeah, there are times where I felt where things got really bad and I'm just like, okay, like I'm going to talk to him and just be like, what should I do? Like mm-hmm. help me. Like you see my heart. Like what is, is it like what, what where, what should I do? Should I go back? And that's kind of why I started going back because it wasn't necessarily God talking to me. It was all of the things in my mind telling me like, well, you're unhappy because of this. So I'm like, oh, maybe God's telling me to do that. But it really wasn't. It's just like, that's how my brain has literally been being like a Lego blocked into thinking since I was a baby. And so I was just going back to what I knew. But then that didn't feel good either. So then I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't feel good to go back, but it doesn't feel good to be out what the hell do I do with myself? And I'm 20, like one, 22, but I have nobody. So what do you do? All right. You just do what I did, which was a mess. I just got into everything. Cause I didn't know what I, I didn't know. I literally had to start over and it was just, it was a very um, interesting, confusing time of my life <laughs> for sure. I think that's a good pausing point there. So let's take yeah. a break. <laughs> yeah. And when we get back, we'll we'll kind of talk about the upswing of that and how you kind of figure that stuff out. But I mean, I just want to go on record of saying that is extremely brave because isolation is one of those things that you have to imagine it probably breaks 99% of the people. As soon as, as soon as certain key people in your life, your family alone, your parents, as soon mm-hmm. as they go and turn the cold shoulder, I'm sure that works so many times where they're like oh well i don't like that feeling so i'm gonna go back and you know sorry i didn't mean to mess up and they go full tilt back into it right but Mm -hmm. to to experience true isolation and still go yeah but i still think that this is the right track for me and then powering through that and now you're on the other side of that that's incredibly brave and i'm extremely impressed with that thank you friend thank you and we're back back that was a pretty pretty good break All right, so we're back yes. with Miss Victoria. Let's do that. Uh, holy cow, that is a heck of a story so far. Um, before we kind of get back into uh, your kind of rise back up into your life and everything else, I kind of wanted to fire off a couple of questions on different aspects of it that I found in my research that I found pretty interesting, and maybe you can give me some more color on it. Yeah, let's do it. So one interesting one was uh, no military service. That one actually mm-hmm. that fascinates me. What Where does that come from? Um, so as a Jehovah's Witness, they believe that all governments of the world, I mean, they're 
obviously influence under Satan because they're not part of Jehovah's organization. I mean, they're not wrong. So, <laughs> so we, our whole thing is to remain completely neutral. Oh. So there's no, um, I mean, even if you think about it, like my father stopped working at the firefighter station um, because they, they don't want any type of like, you can't be like a police officer. You can't be like, there's like, there's a lot of things that you just, you're not supposed to be a part of because it's part of like worldly governments or under the influence or whatever. Um, so we don't salute the flag. We don't um, do any type of work for the military at all. We are completely neutral because we only recognize Jehovah and like Jesus is mm. um, ruling and not man's. So we have to be completely neutral. We also aren't allowed to vote. So I did not vote until I think I, and honestly, I didn't vote for a long time because I just didn't know anything about voting. I didn't oh. know even know how to do it. Like I, I, I mean, you vote when you're 18 or whatever. That wasn't me. I was taught you don't do any of that. You stay completely separate from the world. Hmm. So I think I was like 20, 25, something like that. In my late 20s when I voted for the first time and I felt really good. because I was like, okay, I'm like doing something. Yeah. Yeah, this is the world I live in. I want to make a difference or whatever. But we're, we're not taught. And we're taught not to do any of Engage those Engage in that stuff. Yes. That's fascinating. All right, so let's take an even step back. So then uh, on the politics side, is there like, are you not even supposed to be like Democrat, Republican? Or like, are you just kind of keep that to yourself kind of a thing? Like, how does that even work? No, you're not. You don't do... You're just... You're, just, you're completely neutral. Like, you don't have any... Really, your whole focus is on the organization. Your whole focus is on converting your whole focus on jehovah and your you there isn't why have like a be democratic or you know or republican those are all worldly governments that are influenced oh. by Satan. so and and really the whole goal goal is is for armageddon to destroy all those worldly governments so there's no input that we have in that because that's not we believe it so okay so then this might be a loaded question then but i'm like how do they reconcile the idea that all of the governments that are made up of not them mm -hmm. are evil, but the essentially government that they have set up from a central governing body in New York City, mm -hmm. that would be like your federal government essentially, right? Down to your local government, which would be your state and local governments. Mm -hmm. How do they reconcile? So do they feel like the elders have, are sort of uh, imbued by God or chosen by God mm -hmm. to be better at governing people than other men? Is that the idea? Pretty much. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm like, um, they're right. You're wrong. Um, no. So I, I mentioned earlier about um, the breakdown of like yep, the beliefs, right? So exactly. So our belief is that the governing body who was inspired by the you know by Jehovah and the faithful discreet slave things like that, um, those are directly from Jehovah. So even though we don't believe in like a worldly government, like we're just following jehovah's direction sure and so anything that they say and any regulation or anything they put onto us is coming directly from jehovah because the holy spirit they're they're anointed they're getting all, all this information and so you don't even question it like i they could tell you anything and it's just you just you follow blindly because it's coming directly from god yeah and so you don't even look at it as a government like that's a actually interesting way to question it because I never looked at it that way because it's just how it is. Like yeah. the elders follow um, the governing body. The governing body follows Jesus and Jesus follows Jehovah, whatever. Um, and then you just do what they say. So I don't even think of it like that. 
I don't think any Jehovah's Witness thinks of it as a government. They just think of it as someone who's giving you direct information from God. Mainlining from God, yeah. his instructions on how to be. Yeah, wow. exactly. That's fascinating to me. That's fascinating. All right, so so all right, so let's take it back then. <clears throat> so you're you're in your twenties now. Mm-hmm. You've gone through this stuff. You've tried to come back to a couple of the meetings. Mm-hmm. It's not going super good. Um, so so what was that process like? I mean, are you just kind of taking it day by day and kind of trying to recenter your life around your boyfriend at the time and then the new set of friends that you have? Were you getting pretty good support outside of the church that kind of helped with that, or were you pretty much on a solo track to figure it out um i was not getting a lot of support (laughs) because no one knew what to do with me because how do you explain to people who don't understand what you're going through and i feel like a lot of people were like um well that oh so you don't like go to church anymore like like no one ever does and um like oh your parents are fighting with you like no and it's really hard to explain to somebody like okay, well, no, this is like a permanent thing. Like this is like, I signed my death certificate pretty much. And, but a rationalizing human being will be like, that's ridiculous, right? So they don't believe that it's real. And I feel like a lot of like extended family who could have been more encouraging to me or more supportive to me, they wouldn't even believe that my family would do that to me. Like, you know, I had people tell me years later, like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like, I feel like you just disappeared. Like, what happened to you? And um, so it's one was because I didn't ask for the help. And that is true. And I feel like a lot of people in my situation should not be afraid to ask for help. Especially, you know, I'm really stubborn. And I felt like I had to protect my family and my previous beliefs and all my friends. Yeah. And so I just shut up about it, you know, and I suffered in silence. But the reality is, do not do that. I took the hardest, highest climb route of trying to heal myself. It was traumatic in all aspects of it. When really I could have just like got help through it, through a counselor, therapy, anything mm-hmm. like that. I just didn't know who would understand me. And then when I did try to reach out to my friends, my new friends, they didn't really understand it. Yeah. So I didn't really feel like I had like the support that I needed. And at the same time, I was getting like random emails or messages from other Joe's Witnesses like saying like, you know, are you going to come back? Like, we miss you. Like, you left us all behind. Like, all these like, so you feel like guilt Guilt and all these things. And that's not really being supportive either because they're just, they're, they're like, you already felt pushed into a corner. And now they're just like, instead of saying like, hey, man, like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is rough. Like, we haven't seen you around. Like. I know your family's not talking to you. I know your friends are talking to you. Like, how do you feel? Or like, how can I support you? How can I encourage you even? Because it yeah. really was an encouragement. They were literally just like, hey, like, th- you know, hurry up. Like, come You need to back. get back on come this back track. Back. Yeah. Come back to us or whatever. So it wasn't even like an appeal to your emotions to try, or your better sentiment to try to get you back. It was more just like, are you are you upset enough yet? But they don't know how to do that either. I mean, like, they're just doing the sure, best. Sure, they're not they, equipped. They, yeah, 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 they're yeah. doing what they know, which I did to other people too. So. Well, and let's also put it on a time scale, right? So when we're talking about in your 20s, uh, is this like early 2000s? Like, this is like 1990, 2000-ish, early 2000s. So, you know, for, for context, right, what's important to realize is that this is also a uh, time in a world where the internet wasn't really all that 
magical and prevalent right like there's no reddit there's there's no finding communities out the internet exists certainly but but finding communities of people that you can reach out to for support is not a thing exactly podcasts are not a thing right so youtube videos were not like what they are like so you're left you're left same. straight up to the random spreading of who happened to be living in las cruces at the time <laughs> yeah. total rando just what is my support structure i mean uh, you know i mean kudos to your ex uh for for basically being like yo like this doesn't seem right and it's probably not healthy for you right for, to at least kind of give you an outside perspective to go whoa this is like n- not normal behavior kind of a thing but i mean i, I probably would have fallen for the same thing because i even sitting here today in 2023, I'd never heard of such a uh, um, an aggressive excommunication path mm-hmm. other than, say, like Scientology, right? That's the only other one that kind of comes to mind as far as like having the same sort of like once you're labeled an SP, right, a suppressive right, person, person. Uh, yeah. the same kind of a uh, right. And they and they yeah. kind of drag out all your your past transgressions and things like that. I'd never even heard those are the only two. And uh, Scientology has only been around in my brain for a, a limited amount of time. Like once Tom Cruise and all this stuff kind of came to light. So this is, these are all very recent things. So back, you know, for people's appreciation back then, you're dealing with this stuff and you literally, not only do you have not a support network in human form, but you also don't have a support network in information form as far as the right. broader internet. Right. There is nothing that I could have like, I mean, there were there were books out that I've read after the fact, like many years later, mm. but I um, there wasn't what people have now. Like, I mean, I posted some videos on TikTok and I've watched like there's like XJW groups on Facebook and there's like XJW people on YouTube. And I've, I've watched a lot and I've learned a lot. And that's where I get most of my information now, like as what the organization is teaching now, because it is very different from when even when I was in it. Yeah. And which isn't just an example of, you know, God is, shouldn't change his mind every like, you know, few years. But um, but it's very informative because then I feel like it gives me some more validation where it's like, OK, I did the right thing. Because at the time you just feel completely um, like shut out and you feel like shamed and you feel guilt and you feel um, like abandoned. You feel all these things and you have no outlets to understand it mm-hmm. all you are your only understanding of it is that i deserve it yep so i just you know and then i'm with people who are worldly and i'm talking about my boyfriend and my and his mom who are the nicest people and they were so supportive and so sweet and and everything but they were just like this is crazy yeah and they had no understanding of it and i'm just thinking and i'm thinking but it's not crazy like this is because that's all i knew right. like, it's not crazy like yeah i i mean i get this like i deserve this blah 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 you know whatever um but like but i just met your parents and i know that this and then i'm like they're not talking to you anymore and it's like it's just it's just like for someone who is like a rational human being who has like understanding and thought and can like break things down like they don't understand it mm-hmm. but for someone who's been indoctrinated from like infancy like you just like to you, yep. it's normal. Yep. And you were hyper aware of the fact that, you know, in order to unpack that entire history to, to a person that is seeing this for the first time, that's a lot of effort to go into it. Right. And it, yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like and, and one that creates its own sort of like negative feedback of yeah. like, do I really want to put all like, Oh, if you thought I was crazy before, let me, let me shout out to my friends that wrote of me during that time. Cause it was a mess. Like it was crazy. I was not in a good place. Like it was just, it was, um, it was a lot. For sure. Yeah. All right. So, 
so let's talk about when did you start to feel like you were going to be okay? How long did that take where you were like, this sucks, but I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's a, there's a sun on the horizon. And I think this is, it's unfortunate that I'm probably not going to be able to associate with a lot of my ex friends. So, well, wait, wait, small pause. Were there anybody, the people that were kind of emailing you was all guilt trippy stuff or was anybody really trying to reach out and genuinely like re-engage? Um, family or friends I feel like my old my best friend at the time who like one of the reasons why I got dissociated to begin with she was genuine like yeah. she just randomly reached out to me and she was like hey like I just read the email last night so I remember Aww. like just like hey just thinking of you like it, the the verbiage is funny to me now but at the time like you know just like hey i need to know like are you coming back and like you know i want to do what's best you know like oh this yeah, stuff. trying to get so, deets yes like they're kind of guilt tripping but like and the, the thing is i did that too so like i'm not gonna hold that against anybody because like you know and it's just like the yes i'm reaching out to you but that that in itself was a big deal mm-hmm. because you know no one was allowed to speak to me um nobody so i mean I could um, tell you just from like, not just your family, your friends, all these things. So like, I'll tell you probably like the worst thing that ever happened to me with people just, you know, cutting you off and making you feel guilty. Um, So when I got, uh, was dissociated, um, my parents wouldn't let me see my nephews or anybody. And um no one knew that like you know and I don't even know if the kids understood that you know I'm like they're I'm just not around anymore and like but I like I pretty much helped raise my nephews and so I was very very close to them so and everyone knew that you know and then I just disappeared but it wasn't that I disappeared it was just because my family you know they were they converted my sister-in-law and um she started becoming a Jehovah's Witness and all these things so um they didn't talk to me for about it was a little over a year and I went to my cousin's high school graduation in, in like, um, high rolls. And uh, I knew I was going to see my parents for the first time, right? And I was How like, long? It was, it was, like, a little bit over a year. They haven't talked to me at all. And I had so much anxiety. I was with my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, oh, my God. I was, like, so stressed about We were driving from Las Cruces to high rolls. And I was like, oh, my God. What are they going to say? Like, what are they going to do? You know, because now people, like, my, my extended family, all non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Again, my parents are the only ones that are Jehovah's Witnesses in my family. Um, they don't know. So, like, how are they going to act? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we get there, and it's like this cabin. Out, you know, we're all woodsy people, okay? So it's like this cabin. We're out there, and we walk up, and the first person I see is my dad. What are the chances, right? And I was so stressed, and I had so much anxiety, and he just looked at me, and he smiled, and I was like okay and you know um great <laughs> you know like, I, I don't know what that means what does you know? that mean? and uh, he was very nervous his hands were shaking and um he hugged me and I didn't know what to feel because I was like so I was so mad at them but then I was like oh my god like you feel like love and embrace for the first time you just feel like this is great, you know, and you just miss all that, you know, and he was so nervous and he's like, uh, uh, do you want, well, I want to get you a beer, you want, want a drink, blah, 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 and like, because everyone's watching us, like, no one knows my parents have done this to me, no one knows, like, that I've been literally in the worst part of my life for, like, the past year, and, and I have family all around, and we're a Mexican family, okay, there are people everywhere, okay, I'm talking about aunts, uncles, you know, 
cousins, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very uncomfortable, but I was excited to see him. And then um, my nephew showed up and I was standing up on this like hill and I haven't seen my nephews in a really long time. And I was like really like messed up about it, you know. And uh, they come running up this hill to me. And I was so excited because I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I just, like, love them. They're like my kids, you know. And um, I think, like, the like the most messed up part that I can think of is just, like, that I, I get emotional about it because. I understand. They just, like, they ran up to me and then they stopped. They looked at their mom and they looked at my dad. Like, like I was, like radioactive yeah like they were afraid to like hug me and that was like the first time i'd ever felt like i was just like wow like this is like messed up you know because like those kids love me and i love those kids but it's been over a year and they were just scared to hug me and i think that was like that was like when i knew it was like what did they tell them about me like you know what i mean like because i love those kids and I go, I hadn't seen them in a year. They probably think it's my fault. Like, I abandoned them. And, like, they were, like, they ran up to me like they were excited. But then they were just, like, they knew the religion told them that I was bad. Yeah. And that was, like, really hard for me. Because I was, I felt, already felt so alone. And I felt like just, there was just a lot going on in my, my mind. And I, I felt my dad's embrace for the first time in a year. And you know, the kids and everything like that. And it was just, I felt like some like normalcy for the first time in such a long time. And it was really nice. But then you also get super fucking angry about it because you're just like, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, like they should want to be around me. Like I love them. Like, you know what I mean? My I love my parents, all these things, you know? And everyone, <laughs> the crazy thing is everyone's watching us like, like what's wrong with with that girl <laughs> like, you know, right. like, everyone's partying drinking all this stuff you know and i'm over here like dying inside like i'm just like crying and my boyfriend is like poor guy's like the only white boy in this whole mexican people and like you know and he's just like trying to comfort me and i'm like and no one knows no one knows his inner battle my mom came after that and hugged me and she's like you look so beautiful blah 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 and you know, and I just like, I almost didn't want to hug her back. So I was just like, I'm so angry. I'm yeah. so angry because if we were at a Jehovah's Witness gathering, they would they not would acknowledge me at all. And so you're just like, it's like this. How do you find support in that when you're, I'm, I was in a sea of people, all my family, people that I love. Right. And I felt like I was the only person there and I felt so isolated because I'm dealing with this, this inner battle my parents are here laughing drinking with their family that they haven't they've seen this whole year i haven't seen them in over a year they're living their normal lives you know dancing with my nephews and my nephews were just like trying to soak up much time as possible with them and you kind of feel like resentment towards that because you're just like this church they made this happen like they like literally like the worst like day of my life because for what? Because I didn't believe it anymore. Like, I, I didn't understand that. And, like, and I see my, my dad laughing with his brothers and all this stuff. I'm like, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Your brothers aren't. Like, my brother was there and all these people. And I'm like, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. And, like, you're embracing them and you're loving them and you haven't stopped loving them. I didn't, I just felt like such anger 
at that point and I ended up leaving and I was just like well I'm not gonna do that to myself ever again and I'm just gonna just avoid anything as much as possible because it literally like broke me and um, I didn't want my nephews to ever like feel I can't change what they're telling them I'm not around you know, I just told them how much I love them at the time or whatever that, you know, I would love to see them, but they, they're being told that I'm bad. And, you know, I just hate that look on their faces because, you know, like I'm not a bad person, but you just feel like there's just a lot of like, how can you not feel resentment when you are treated a certain way, you know? Well, for what it's worth, right. When I, when I, when I read that situation, I see I see maybe a little bit of a silver lining, right? Notice what their, notice what their innate nature was. Mm -hmm. They were actually happy to see you. Yeah. Right. So in their hearts, right? Their their first before their brain kicked in and said, "This is what mom and dad told me I'm not supposed to do." Right. Mm -hmm. In that moment when they saw you, that was that was genuine love and genuine happiness to see you. Right. Right. That's cool. To me, that's the silver lining that you have to pull out of it, and it's just on their route to you mom and dad's voice or whoever told them like yours mm -hmm. off limits came in and, and that's the indoctrination coming in and saying, nope, 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 not yeah. supposed to do that. Not supposed to associate with her. And now they're kind of in that confused state. But the fact that I think, I think I would have, that, that was a horrible situation mm -hmm. first of all, but I, you know what I mean? The silver lining in that is that they weren't just straight up, just like acting like yeah. they don't even know you and like just because then that would have really shown that that indoctrination really got into them and now that they've killed me. That would have killed you. That would have literally killed me, and that and that is very true because that is a silver lining because I feel like, you know, I ran into them like years later and yeah. they did the same thing. They ran up to me and they just held me and I was just like, and that was probably like three years after that because I had I you know, and then now I think about it like one's married, yeah. Um, I missed out on their whole lives and, you know, and, and I, you know, and when they make their own choices, I think they're, they're all baptized and stuff like that. So they probably won't talk to me, but if they ever decide to, that door is literally always open. Like I have it propped open, like nailed open. Okay. Yep. Like the door is always open for, for them because I know what it's like to be taught such a young age and just feel like you, that's all you have because that's how my, family made them to feel and they had me they made me me feel and i just feel like you know if ever that were to happen if they were ever to leave the organization or however they wanted to do it or whatever they can always count on me because i've been there and i definitely really that's for any jehovah's witness that feels just like left alone like i'll be whoever's sister i'll be your best friend i'll be your mom i'll be whatever you need because i didn't have that and you know I'm a hot mess, but I will make you laugh. I will dance with you. I will cook with you. I will cry with you. I will do whatever because people need somebody who has somewhat of an experience what they're going through and someone who can be like, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You're not alone. This, it, it's going to pass. It will never be over, but you can live with it looking at it a different way. Yeah. And that's all you can really do. But at least you're not like alone. You know what I mean? And that is a silver lining because I've experienced all this so I can maybe help someone else who has experienced the same thing not feel like, well, this sucks and this is the end for me. Like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like that. It's not the end for anybody. Like, life goes on. Life can be great. Yeah. Um, it's not 
the organization, it leaving that like is hard and no one will understand it until you've been there. But I have made the bestest friends, you included, and wifey, and my honey, but I made the bestest friends in the world. And I remember thinking at one point, I'm like, there are no worldly people that will ever match up to my friends that were in the organization. There's nobody. Like that is crap. It's bull crap. It's not true. There's so many good people out in the world. You just have to seek them out and they'll find, and honestly, they'll find you. Be a good person. They'll find you and you'll have such a great life. And it's like all this other stuff that happens is just made to teach you a lesson and just be better and just maybe help other people. But yeah, it gets better. This isn't it. I would just, I would just hope like I would that brilliantly said, and I would just, I would just add to that and say, I would just hope that they could at least adopt a policy that's more of an agree to disagree. Like, does yeah. it have to be that, that, that harsh of a shunning, right? It, it, fine. You, okay. You, you hang out with your disassociated daughter or whatever. And at the end of the day, you might go home and go, well, she's not going to be saved, but she's still living a good life. She still has a good heart. She still is doing well. She has friends and everything else. And she's being supported and she's loved and whatever. And cool. She's not a hundred percent on board, but if Jesus yeah. were to come down tomorrow and look at her, he wouldn't be like, not right yeah. like that that's all you can hope for right hopefully hopefully that's something that they adopt later on that'd but i great that but would it, be great but i it's, don't see that happening <laughs> well because again right that's that's an infectious thought it's yeah. an infectious thought to say oh wait a minute so you can just be a good person you don't have to follow all the rules to the letter and do all this community service all this mm. other stuff i can just be a good person yeah. Ah, that seems like a shortcut that uh, that starts to undermine the. And if, you, and if you believe in God, like, kudos to you. That's sure. great. Like, I am all about. Even though I don't have a standard belief, if that makes you a better person, if that makes you help other people, if that inspires you to live on when you feel like you're you can't. Nope. I am all for it, but this is the this is the difference with a cult. In comparison to like spirituality, which I think they're completely different. Right. And I think with a cult, it's all about control. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you do. It's about what you say we want you to do and how you accomplish that. And if you don't, Mm -hmm. then you're not worthy of whatever they say God's love is. You know what I mean? And that's why I find religion so personally myself. Um, I just can't get with it because I feel like in every aspect of religion, there's hypocrisy and there's like a lot of stuff that, and being in the the cult that I was and the matter of the amount of control I'm talking about from how you do your hair, men with beards, tattoos, how you dress, um, how you spend your time, how you are a wife, how, I mean like your job, they, they dictate your job, the schooling, I mean, every, every aspect is managed. Every aspect of your life is micro controlled. And that's how they dictate if Jehovah God loves you. Like, I just find that so like, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But when you're in it, you're like, well, that makes sense. Because in order to, you know, get everlasting life, you have to follow the rules. Yeah. And these are the rules that God told these men to tell me. Yep. So I'm just following the rules. Yep. And, like, and the amount of rules that they have. And the things that they believe in and that we did and followed and like risked our own lives for, like that's all part of what we're told to do in order to gain Jehovah's favor. Yep. And the average person would be like, 
well, that doesn't make any sense, but well, well, so, well, so let me steal man the argument, right? Like uh, it's, it's, it, for, for emotionally functioning people, it seems, it seems like pretty ridiculous. But one of the things that I've started to, I, I went through a lot of anger phases with my relationship with Christianity and Catholicism mm-hmm. growing up as well. And one of the things that I've kind of grown to appreciate later on in life is what I call the Santa Claus problem. So let me tell you about the Santa Claus problem. Okay. Because it's easy to grasp, right? What is the point of Santa Claus? Why does he exist? Well, because when you're a kid and you do naughty things, kids are very hyper aware of the fact that naughty things only exist if mom and dad are watching. Uh-huh. Right? Follow me on this. So if I'm a kid and I if I, I want to go steal extra snacks or steal extra candy or whatever the heck, right? Normally, if, if you don't believe in Santa Claus, you just look around and go, well, mom and dad's not here, so I'm just going to go ahead and get this candy, right? Yeah. But that's obviously not the best way to be. And so Santa Claus creates... A, a perfect solution for a problem that kids can understand. There's a direct reward. What is that reward? Christmas, presents, so on and so forth. But there's a naughty and a nice list. And if you want to stay on the nice list, you got to do nice things even when mom and dad are not around because what is the basic tenet of Santa Claus, right? He sees you even if you don't see him. He's watching you all the time. And so this creates this creates a perfect paradigm that is a placeholder. My, my opinion is that this is a placeholder for... Um, conscious awareness of your own moral compass, right? It's a placeholder for that because when you're a kid, you don't really understand that the world informs you on what you ought to do and you behave accordingly, right? And good or bad is sort of dictated by your social constructs, right? But if I introduce this magical being that is that is somewhere in the ether and he's always watching you and you can't just look over your shoulder and take that extra piece of candy, well, then you behave good. But the point of Santa Claus is that ultimately you ha- you ultimately reveal to the kid that Santa Claus doesn't exist, but that's not a reason to then go start doing bad things, right? Right. That's the magic of, that's to me, that's why I believe in the Santa Claus story because it offers a magical path of you don't understand how this works. You don't understand how morality works. You don't understand what good or bad is, but let me give you a construct that's a placeholder. And once you get to a certain level of maturity where you know that you're not supposed to be stealing candy or stealing from anybody else or doing horrible things, then you can self-regulate. And it's a self-regulation piece that I think is, if I could steal man the argument, that is the basis of most religions. At least what they try to teach you is that there's a, there's a morality for all of us to live on this earth. There's a morality that you should aspire to, right? Be like Jesus, right? Jesus is the example of all this in most of the religions. You're hoping for that to instill mm-hmm. upon other people. And I think the problem is mankind and it's, ever increasing ways to subjugate each other or control each other or have a one up, they start to insert themselves as middleman. Now imagine Santa Claus is a real dude. Yeah. It becomes a little creepier, right? Like Santa Claus is not interesting at all if he's a real dude. And in order to get on good Santa's good list, you have to like go visit him in the North Pole and like give him money and shit like that. that. Who wants to do all that? And so I I think I think the Santa Claus problem is something that is interesting because some people the normal cycle of this, right? What I'm getting to is normally you arrive at the point where you go, you know, I don't need Santa Claus in my life to tell me what's good or bad. I can, I know what it is for myself and I go do the good things. I don't need Santa Claus anymore. I think what happens is there's a lot of people in this world that they still need Santa Claus. Yeah. And so religion becomes Santa Claus 2.0. It's a more believable version. Now what's at risk is not just the presence at Christmas. Now what's at risk is your soul, your eternal soul 
in Armageddon, Damnation, the 80, uh, Karma, right? Like the, the 80 different variations is, is what do you do when you don't follow the rules, right? And some people need that structure because some people, that when they operate in this world, they, despite their best efforts or their best intentions, they just don't do good. And that's why things like, you know, it's no coincidence, like 12-step programs are kind of religiously backed, right? Because these are people that have a hard time with addiction, um, doing the right thing, so on and so forth. And so having some ethereal thing that still offers you a structure in this life, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. So when I look at religion now, I'm a lot less hostile towards it because mm -hmm. I realize that for some people, it really does work for them. They for some it. people, they need it. Yeah. Right. But what I but all I'm asking for is that don't hold the rest of us accountable. Don't hold the rest of us in contempt because we figured it out for ourselves and we don't necessarily need a bearded man in sky threatening to cast down lightning at me when I don't do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. We mentioned earlier during our little break about, you know, what I'm talking about is like the amount of control that certain churches have and like that we were Jehovah's Witnesses and like certain beliefs they have. Like there's like the blood issue. Right? Oh, yeah. And there are certain beliefs that literally will kill you. Yeah. Let's talk about that one. There's not a whole lot of people that know that one. That was one of the ones where I'm just like in a modern day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was that was the biggest. Thing. Um, so I watched um, um, the Apostasy. Right. That's the movie. Apostasy. Apostasy. Mm -hmm. Right. Great movie. Everyone should watch it. So set the stage for us there. It's that's great. that's an interesting. Um, I wish I had the information of who the guy who directed and wrote it was an ex Jehovah's Witness. And um, when I watched it, I literally cried and cried and cried because it is the most accurate depiction of what it's like to live as a Jehovah's witness, um, to die as a faithful Jehovah's witness. There's just from the jobs they do to how they talk about demons, the anxiety of not feeling like you're good enough, the preaching work there. I mean, it was just, you could tell this man, like he lived it. No one else would do a movie like that unless they lived that way. Yep. Um, but the, so the girl in it, she has a disease, right? She has a disease and she, um, at one point in the movie, I don't remember the movie for y'all, but you should watch it. But at one point in the movie, I guess when she was like way younger, like they gave her a blood transfusion because she needed it. But it was like she was young, so she couldn't like say she, you know, didn't want it or whatever. And she felt this guilt. She carried, even though she was alive and it saved her life, she carried this guilt with her that she was like unclean at Jehovah because she did this blood transfusion. Because as Jehovah's Witnesses, you're not allowed to have blood transfusions, and even if it will save your life. Yep. You just aren't allowed to do it. Um, it's based off a scripture that has nothing to do with blood transfusions because blood transfusions did not exist. Okay. But it's, <laughs> it's what they use and that's what, that is what it is. Um, so anyways, in the movie, you have to watch how she feels about it. She's very sick and how the organization, they literally have hospital liaisons where they will go into a hospital, a group of elders or whatever, and if the person's unconscious and they can't, like, fight for themselves, they will fight the hospital staff saying that this person doesn't want to do a blood transfusion or have any type of, like... And there's, like, a special card. Yeah. There's, so... You, know, you carry a yes. card. So when you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're given um, a no-blood card, and you're given this when you're very, very little, too. My dad. I had one since I was a little, little kid. And it's like, it's a full, it's like a piece of paper that you fold up, whatever. It's like, it turns into a card. And it says like, I, as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, um, do not want blood or any blood. Like you can't have any like 
you weren't allowed to have any blood fractions, like all this other stuff. Um, and then you sign it. Even as a little kid, I signed it. Okay. And then you have someone witness it. You could have your, I don't know if your parents can witness it, or you could have like an elder or sister congregation witness it, usually an elder or somebody. And you carry it with you at all times. So in case you were hit by a car when you were like 10 years old, and you needed blood, they would find it on you. And even if you couldn't speak for yourself, you weren't allowed, like you're saying, I signed it, like I wasn't allowed to get blood. And there's, bleed no, out. And there's like a, yeah, and then you just die. Um, but you're in favor of God, so it's okay. Um, but yeah, so it's just like something that, it sounds so like silly, you think about it, but like we literally, every year we got a new one, every year, and we signed it, and we had someone sign it with us, and we carry it with us at all times. And it, I, I remember, you know, telling my brother, my oldest brother, he got in a really bad car accident. Um, and obviously he's not baptized and, you know, it's like years later. And I was like, you know, I was like, good thing you didn't need a blood transfusion because mom and dad would let you die. Like if it was up to mom and dad, you would have died, bro, because they didn't want to, like to save themselves. Isn't that crazy? But like you think about it at the time, we didn't think of it like that. But I'm thinking they would have literally sacrificed their child because of what the organization interprets, about interprets the scripture Bible to passage, say a couple about eating blood as a blood transfusion yeah. and i go they would let you die and he and he like we laugh about it because like what else can you do he's like yeah. yeah he's like yeah and i'm like but yeah like isn't that crazy and the sad thing about it is is thousands of people have died in the organization because and 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 the doctrine is always changing too because before it was like you couldn't do um organ donations or anything like that you mm -hmm. couldn't accept organ you couldn't do any forms of blood and then like then that then that changed like a couple of years later saying okay well you can't do a whole blood transfusion but you can do like certain like um fractions of blood and, and things like that i mean it, it's constantly changing but i was telling my husband i was like imagine if you lost someone so close to you 15 years ago because the organization said if you want to stay in jehovah's good favor if you want to be resurrected in paradise and you know you can't do this and then 15 years later changed their doctrine and oh. like oh just kidding yeah you can do it now i'd be mad as shit that's what i'm saying and I'm <laughs> how do active jehovah's witnesses that, that who've lived through it for so many years and seen it constantly change and what jehovah's witnesses call it they call it new light is when they change the doctrine they call it new light and it's like but how do you really feel about that because i just feel like if that were me I would just be like, this is BS. Because if you're saying if my mom or dad got sick or my uncle, whatever, 15 years later, they would have, their lives would have been saved. But yeah. since, it, you know, the old light told us that it was bad, yeah. they died. Yeah. They're willing to, even something that they could live through, they died in order to stay in Jehovah's good favor and favor of the organization. And I just find that really crazy. But that's one of the things in the form of, when I say every aspect of our life was controlled, that's just such so a small portion of like as a kid what i carried with me and took with me to school everything right crazy <laughs> yeah so I, I looking into that there's like there's like two main scriptures one of them is the leviticus one and when i read those i'm, I'm no theologian but it's what's funny is there's so many things that are kind of rooted in what you could otherwise interpret as like pretty good advice and it, what it seemed to me looking at these two scriptures was mostly around like how you treat animals like mm -hmm. proper training of proper draining of blood from animals right mm -hmm. how do you how else could you convey to people that they should avoid bloodborne diseases and other aspects of it right so there's like this aspect of truth that's actually decent advice for an ancient population of people but in a modern world 
it doesn't really hold up because like yeah. man like if all you're gonna do is bleed out and all you need or or if you have uh, um leukemia or something something that requires like a pretty like a blood transfusion that in most of the days it's like it's like artificial it's plasma it's plasma that's donated from people and you know i mean that's interesting to I me that the people that wrote the bible that many years ago or no however concept. you believe we were at Bible, whatever. Yeah. Um, you think they had an idea of blood transfusions? Come on. No. Like, no. Okay. No, no. So let me pause. So this is interesting to me. Consuming blood, not good. But in your story about when you went to your family reunion, people are, that's interesting to me. So they were drinking alcohol or beer. Is that is a, uh, ingestion of things? There's certain like Mormons, right? Not even the caffeine is also bad. Like, is there a substance concept in? No, you can drink. People ask me that all the time too, which is that's really weird. People are like, one. oh, Joseph, they, they can't have Coke or they can't drink tea or they can't drink alcohol. I'm like, that's, I'm pretty sure that's Mormon, yeah. Mormons. Um, no. We can drink alcohol. We can drink all that stuff. Um, you just don't do anything in excess. So you can't like be an alcoholic or anything like that or, or, or act out or like, I mean, the whole thing is that you are a spokesperson for a Jehovah's organization. If you look bad, you bring reproach upon the organization. So you can drink, but don't bring shame. Don't bring, don't act crazy. So we, I mean, which I mean, thank God for that. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I imagine like my dad would open up a beer at 18. I'm like, yeah, woo. Like I could have, you know, have a drink or whatever. Um, that wasn't bad. It was just that you can't bring approach upon his name. So you oh. can't like other religions. I don't know, but like, yes, we can have soda. We can have coffee. We can have alcohol, wine. Jesus turned water into wine supposedly. So we are all about it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one to me. So, so let's backtrack. So what's, what's the road to Austin look like? So between uh las cruces um kind of the family reunion well, well, well let's let's pause let's go back to there so how did the family reunion did you just kind of suffer in silence and then the rest of the afternoon was okay-ish amicable or were you just like forget this i'm out like how did that how did that day end up um it mostly ended with like um so um my sister-in-law at the time she just like I think she was just getting baptized or she was sitting or whatever with the Jones when it says she was, she was like super self-righteous, you know, we were all, we were all there at one point. So, you know, whatever. And, uh, she told me, um, she pulled me aside and, and I don't know why she told me this, but she did. She was, she said, um, I'm the reason your parents don't talk to you anymore. And she said, I told them that it's not okay to talk to someone who's disfellowshipped, um, you know, I know other witnesses do. Because some other witnesses are very, it's a very gray area. They get away with a lot, you know. Yeah. You can get in trouble for that, but they hide it really well. And that's kind of what my parents started to do in the beginning. And then, like, with the soft shutting. And then, it, then you know, it changed. And she was, like, really proud of herself for, like, for her being that person or whatever. And I disliked her for, I mean, I still don't like that, like her, to be honest. But, um I was really upset about it because I was like, who are you? Like, yeah. I don't even like you. So, like, why are you doing this? But, like, it wasn't really about that. But I was just like, she just felt so self-righteous. Like, she, I was the one that told him not to talk to you anymore. And um, so I left pretty soon after that. And um, I didn't see – I saw my mom, I think, three years later at my cousin's wedding. And she – my dad didn't go. So I haven't seen my dad. I haven't seen my dad in – I haven't seen my dad's face. I haven't been around him in years, years and years and years. Um, my mom, I saw like three years after that. 
and she hugged me, said I was beautiful or whatever. And then she went and talked to my best friend and my boyfriend at the time. And then she didn't talk to me the rest of the time. And then, um, but I wasn't like, at that point in time, I was, I didn't really want to embrace her. It was kind of just like, you know, I just feel like if you don't love me, don't love me in private, like private as in like with non-witnesses. And then when it comes to like your beliefs, like don't love me. So I was just like, you know, not about it or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, so I just, I, I mean, we, we don't, we don't talk. I mean, I, I talked to my dad, my mom, my mom got really sick a, a couple of years ago and she, from what I heard that she was like on her deathbed or whatever. So I got my dad's phone number from my cousin cause I don't have their phone. I don't even know where they live. Okay. So I don't have their phone numbers or anything like that. And so when I called him, cause I was like, Oh, she's dying, mm. you know? And I wouldn't have known about it cause they didn't bother to tell me. Um, when I called him and he picked up the phone, um, I was like, hey, it's your daughter. Because they call me, they always call me daughter. And he goes, who? <laughs> like, he didn't know who I was. And But that's how far gone, like, their thoughts of me, like, my existence really is. And when I was like, it's Victoria. And then he's like, your mom's really sick. That was, like, his first thing he said to me. And um, he was really upset. Obviously, my mom, my mom was really sick at the time. And um, she never talked to me. I mean, obviously, she was going through a lot. But... I could tell even then he really didn't want to talk to me either. And the fact, but he got surprised because I called him. Yeah. He was expecting that, you know? And um, we talked once more after that when she got like some results back, whatever. He did call me, which I was shocked. And um, the moment I started talking to him about uh, my fiance, now husband, but I was like, yeah, I'm because they don't know anything about my life, yeah. you know? And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm getting married, you know, all these things. And he got really quiet and he started talking about the last days. And, uh, you know, I just told him, I said, you know, I said, just because I don't believe what you believe, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. And, you know, I, I loved him and stuff like that. He got really uncomfortable and he hung up. And that's the time I ever talked to my dad. He, we haven't talked since then. But I could just tell, like, he just, like, he gets so uncomfortable. I know deep down, like, I know my parents love me. They don't know how to love me, but they love me in their own way. And I think I made him uncomfortable because how can you argue with that? Like, how can you? He knows me. Like, he knows I'm not a bad person. Um, But I just feel like, to go back to your question, that was a really weird question. Like, I when I left New Mexico, it was such a nice... um, it was a nice restart for me because I felt like no one here knew I was Jehovah's Witness at one point. I feel like everyone in Mexico, and they really did, because I had traveled all over New Mexico, yeah. like witnessing stuff like that. So I felt like okay, I'm I'm, I'm away start. from like run-ins. Like if I would, I have I still have fear about going to New Mexico, running into my parents, because I just don't know how I could even to this day like handle handle that. Like it just always takes me back to. It always takes me back to a bad place. And it's I just don't like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but moving to Texas, I'm like, I just started fresh. And it was, it was just like, I just was over New Mexico. And I love, I love, love New Mexico. But there's so much baggage there. And until like you run into people on the street who walk the other way when they see you. Or the fear of like running into like your family who want nothing to do with you. Like that's just a lot of baggage to carry as a person. I don't want to live like that. So like I moved to a state where no one lived. So I was like, 100%. okay, I'm going to Texas. 
Um, How did you pick Texas? Did well, you already know something? Okay, you let's, know? let's be real. I didn't pick Texas. I picked Austin. Okay. <laughs> so like, let's let's not get it twisted, okay? I would have Fair never, enough. I would have never picked Texas. I picked Austin. I love Austin. Mm. I came here for like an ACL concert, and I was like, oh my god! Like everybody else that moves to Austin, I was like, I love it here, and I was like, free people, woo! Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what I was looking for. I wanted like the most like do whatever you want to do like. That's how Austin to me was. It was like it was like you know in Oz, like the Wizard of Oz, like Austin was my Oz, and I was like, oh my god, like green pastures, like freedom, like you can be whoever you want to be, and I was like, this is it, you know, and and it turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it here, you know. Um, it was not easy getting here, but wow, I mean, yeah, I mean, what a <laughs> god, what a what a freeing, yeah, like. Wow, I can't even imagine. But I mean, I met you guys. I met my husband. You know, life is good. And like, and the thing is, like, do you know? Do you know? I was one of the first people he texted me when he met you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I may be, I might be re- relaying too much here, but. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah, your boy and I are pretty close, and at the time, like, he was very excited to have met you downtown. He sent me a, t- a picture, and he was just like, "I just met." the coolest chick on the planet and i was like oh damn i ain't never heard him go all in like that so. hey, he, he took this broken person and he we had some good times so i was very grateful like i was yeah i was i met him honestly right away and that was like one of the best parts of you know um moving to austin i met him like a month after i moved out here but um i just think like really how lucky i am within a month within a month i mean if, like if, that's, look not, g- if that's not god's will i don't know, I, I know. come on billy thank you <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah but li- life is good i i mean a lot of stuff to get here but you know i'm happy i i took what they call they they say that they take the path less traveled or whatever but i feel like i took like i took the route like that ups or not ups gala like your your Navigation takes you like down this dark road that you think there's like no signs where to go or whatever. Uh huh. And I took that dark road and I got here. I'm like, I have such a wonderful life. Like, I mean, my life's great. Like, I really can't complain. And if I had to do all that again to get here, I honestly think I would because I feel like it made me the person that I am today. And I also don't take a lot of people's BS and I I could spot someone trying to manipulate me from a mile away. And I just feel like, but I wouldn't have known that if I didn't grow up the way that I did and everything that I lost. Yes, it is a loss, but I've gained so much more. Well, in your life, your life isn't even half over. Right. And that's what yeah. that, I mean. Personally, that's what I kind of hope is that when I look at a situation like this, I'm like, that's half the story. Mm. And I can, I can only hope I can only, I can only, dearly pray that 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 has a happier ending in the future and i think i think you'll see maybe some reconciliation of that i would hope so right because exactly right right like you're happy now you're in a good place everything's going very well for you 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 don't really you, you harbor resentment for the system but you don't harbor resentment for the people because you realize that they were just operating under the rules that exactly. they were kind of indoctrinated under right yeah. so i don't hold res i don't Yes, I get hurt by things and everything. Sure. And again, this is not to like bash anybody because there are so many good people in very complicated situations and their beliefs and everything like that. And I respect that. And I respect 
I respect and I love my parents and I never wanted to talk bad about them. And that's why I protected them for so long. Um, But I can say that what they're doing is not okay and still love them. You know, I can not agree with them and wish that they were different. Um, But I doesn't change the fact that I, I want them, I want them to live long, prosperous lives. Like I honestly don't even know if I would ever want them to ever wake up because uh, you know, wake up is the term that I use for like just realizing what they're actually yeah. believing in. But because I just feel like there's, they spent so much of their life invested in this belief that I don't know if mentally they would be able to handle the truth about really what the organization is. And part of me, I just want them to be happy. So it's like, if you want to live and die by this and it makes you happy, even though I'm the one suffering from it, like I just want them to be happy. So it, it puts me in a weird place because I know that I will never have a relationship with them. And I know like I lost already the whole childhood of my nephews and I'll never get any of that back. Um, so much was lost. But I mean, I, I created so much more from that. I From all the rubble and all the trauma and all this crazy stuff, I created such a great life. And I know that they have hurt on their side too, but they're creating a life that suits them. And really, what else can I ask for? Like, I mean, I'm not like, you know, I just want people to do what makes them happy. And I I don't ever want to talk bad about them or I get why they believe what they believe. Yeah. And I'm just happen to be on the outside and, yeah. you know, not in the best situation when it comes to it. But I respect people's beliefs like it. I mean, I don't want, you know, to be negative to anyone's personal beliefs. I just want to just say that because <laughs> it's not about bashing anybody. It's just about understanding my perspective 100%. being um, on the outside of everything. hundred you know? percent. Yeah. I agree. And I think, I think every, every, every person in every organization has room to grow. So now having lived through all of that and being on the outside in, give me, give me like two recommendations that you would give to the organization as far as like what they could do just even slightly better to where they could still preserve most of their, dogma and 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 control or whatever but just maybe to where it doesn't create such a a harsh product on the other side of it because when i look at it from the outside looking in i'm like dang like i didn't go through nearly as much shit disassociate or like fading out as you call it from 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 catholicism as you did fading out from them right so what would you recommend Oh, that's like a loaded question because there's so much more they I'm can sure, do. I'm sure. Um, okay, like two things that pop up top, like the top of my head. I I do wish that they will allow critical thinking mm. and create open space for like um difference of opinion, and then not be afraid to back up their beliefs. Like the fact they don't let their followers um read their own even read about their own organization, like even their old, old publications from years and years ago, they don't let Joe's Mrs. read all that stuff. Like oh, the really? golden age book and all these things. Like they would never just like, they would never just put that information out because it's, it, it will contradict their Hypocrisy. beliefs now. But um, that's what they call like the apostasy stuff. Even like, cause it, but it's true. It's what they put out, but they don't want, you know, I just wish that they would just allow people to be, be critical thinkers, a lot of think for themselves, but also choose that religion. They say they're all about choice, but really you're not. Mm. You're giving them limited choice, choosing from A, B, that's yep. all you're giving them. And if everyone tries to like find option C, then you kick them out. So I, I just wish that they would be more open to that because if you have a belief that you fully believe is the truth, 
You should allow people with their own opinions to challenge you. And then you should be able to back up your beliefs if that's the case. But that's not the case. It either holds up or it doesn't. Exactly. Um, I think, oh, second thing. Um, I mean, obviously, I would say shunning is like a no-go because I experienced that. But I, I mean, it's not just for me. I think like... Um, allowing people to leave. I'm not saying people who people who actually believe who get punished and they 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 follow the beliefs that they should get punished and they're trying to repent to get back. Okay, if you want to accept the the discipline and to move forward into that religion, okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But if you choose to say like I don't believe in this anymore, I don't feel like they should be treated the same way and just completely like shun or excommunicate them because it's a choice to it, it that you know i just don't believe in this anymore it, it, it seems to me from the outside looking at that it robs you more than just your relationship with god it robs you of your relationship with family members and friends, friends and that, everything i can't see where there's any upside to that i just don't see like how that's encouraging to anybody either because if that's supposed to bring people back i'm like that's not the way to go because I mean, maybe for some people, but to me, I'm like, I'm super stubborn. I'm like, if you don't want me, I don't want you. But that's, you know, not everyone's like that. But I think just leaving it more open where it's like, you say that people can choose, but, you know, if they choose, that's the consequence right. for it. Right. I don't think that's probably Is it a fixed the choice to do. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, Miss well, Victoria. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this was a so absolutely fascinating journey. <laughs> I hope you had a good time. I did. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Again, that's it's extremely brave. There's not a whole lot of people in this world that really get tested. I mean, we live in a modern world where most of the stuff that we get tested on is at a very superficial level, right? What we believe in religiously, politically, it might get tested on Twitter, but few people are put to the <laughs> screws and having to back up what they believe in and really walk the walk of having to go through a long and dark journey on your own and really without any kind of support. So the fact that you made it out, I'm agnostic as well, right? I believe that there's something out there. I don't necessarily know that any particular book got it 100% right, but I have to believe that you put yourself on a road that got you to this point and you've met a lot of amazing people and you have a lot of people that love you and you have a lot of people that support you and I can only hope that everybody else from your past life also sees that. And um, I'm, I'm incredibly humbled by your story and this is wonderful and I hope that it inspires other people as well. Thank you. So, thank, thank you for you. listening for me. This Absolutely. is great. Loved it. Alrighty. Love rehashing stuff. But I love you. Thank you so you. much, people. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. Bye.